all of us here at Astonishing Legends would like to thank you for your support this year and wish you and your families and loved ones the safest of holidays as we look to a new year that we hope will be filled with positive changes and good health no matter where in the world you are. Happy Holidays. Astonishing Legends would like to thank Miller High Life, Mint Mobile, Squarespace, Green Chef, Fight Camp, our contributors at Patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible. Hey, man, I'm so glad you could make it to the party. <laughs> wow, the valet service I see you got here. Uh, you went all out. Oh, it's not out of pocket. Astonishing Legends is paying for it. <laughs> uh, uh, what? what? was that? Uh, you know, that means I'm paying for half of that, and I don't remember approving that. Listen, parking virtual cars is pretty affordable. Don't worry about ah, it. Whew, okay. It's, it's right. cold <laughs> out here, but such a beautiful night, isn't it? Thanks for coming, dude. Well, of course. I wouldn't miss it for the world. You know, it's just nice to get together. So we should head inside, right? Who's, who's here? Well, you know, I just got back from the store, so I'm not sure. Let's go see. Whoa, nice decorations, man. You, you got some new stuff this year, I see. Oh, uh, yeah, I went full Griswold. <laughs> really? Uh, 220, 221, whatever it takes. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> Wait, that's Mr. Mom, right? Yeah, yeah I, I know. <laughs> Welcome to the Astonishing Legends 2020 Holiday Party with our special guests, Micah Hanks, Jim Harold, Richard Haddam, Rob Christofferson, and our very own Tess Feifel. We hope you'll join us tonight at the party by the fire for a little casual banter, a lot of eggnog, some talk of legends, and fond memories, and maybe a little bit of music. service and a bar. Uh, like I said, this virtual stuff is practically free, man. <laughs> well, then I'm going to grab an eggnog and, and maybe some egg rolls and a pig in a blanket. Oh, I see Jim and Mike over there. I'm going to head over. W- will you grab me one, too? Yeah, you got it. Hey, guys, how's it going? Jim, what's up? <laughs> it's so great to see you. I can't believe I'm sitting here with the paranormal podcasting pioneer. Oh, thank you. It's so good to be at the party here. Everything's so festive. The decorations. I see you have the stockings hung by the chimney with care and the, you have some snow there, Scott, I see as well. So just adding to the festivities. I've got my uh, sparkling sweater on. I don't know if you can see it in the light, but uh, looking forward to it and a little Bailey's in my coffee. So happy holidays uh. and Merry Christmas to everyone. And it's a pleasure to be here with y'all. Well, man, we're just so glad you could make it. Oh, wait, here comes Micah Hanks. Micah's been on the show a few times and even story produced a few episodes for us. Hey, Micah, come on, have a seat. Well, it is always my pleasure to be here, and I hope you guys are all well getting into the spirit of the season. All right, here you go, man. Here's a little eggnog. Ah, nice. And an Astonishing Legends tumbler, no less. It'll be cold for a long time. (laughs) Thanks, man. Uh, As you can see, Jim and Mike are already here. And look behind you, it's Tess. Tess Feifel, our right-hand woman and the glue that holds Astonishing Legends together. Hey, Tess. Hi. I, you know, I thought I was going to win the Christmas sweater contest with my Bigfoot and mistletoe. But with Jim's (laughs) sparkle, I think I'm in a little bit of trouble. (laughs) 
I just want to point out that mine actually, I left the sticker on here. It has a beverage pocket. Oh. So. oh. <laughs> now, see, Blank. that's a bonus. Like right there. Look at this. It's functional. That's yeah. what we call a tactical sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Fully tactical. But not needed because the beverage won't last before it gets its way yeah, to the Yeah, I pocket. know. It's actually going to be done in about five minutes. <laughs> but, but thank you for bringing this over, good sir. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, of course, man. My pleasure. Oh, you know, I saw uh, Rob Christofferson over at the bar. He, he should be here in a second. Hey, Rob, come on. Come on over here. Folks, it's Rob Christofferson, our old friend and UFO expert. Thanks for coming, man. We, we weren't sure you were going to make it, actually. <laughs> thank you for having me. It feels weird. I, I feel like I've stumbled in from the cold into a paranormal podcast and let me tell you it feels weird to be in one again <laughs> yes you've, you've been out for a while so uh thanks for making an exception to come back absolutely for you anything well guys it is just so great to have you here micah you and jim you guys uh used to work together right oh we still do we yeah. love to work together when we have time yeah yeah we certainly do uh appear on each other's shows we used to do a show called the paranormal report and uh that was great fun it was always uh, great to catch up with micah every week he's so much fun and, and knows so much about so many different topics and we just enjoyed delving into things and when we get to catch up these days we enjoy it just as much and we just did a show together last week and it just felt not like home, old home week we just uh, caught back in together. Yeah, it was ah. almost like those days when I used to actually crash out there on Jim's front porch, and he would ask me day after day, how many days are you going to stay out yeah, there, young man? But, when, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, truly, it is, it's almost like coming home and actually bringing the party right here into your living room, Mr. Scott. Well, it's very nice to have you. Oh, I believe I see Rich Haddam over there. I just walked in. Rich! Come on over, have a drink, grab some eggnog. Hey, you guys, oh my God, it is freezing outside. <laughs> oh, it's so nice in here. Oh my God, look, everybody's here. This is quite a party. This is crazy. Uh, yeah. Hey, Rob, how's it going, man? Hey, Rich, good to see you. What uh, game show are you hosting right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's a know. reference to his jacket. Are you asking about my coat, my hat, or the animal? The whole ensemble is amazing, man. I feel the need to like answer questions that anything that you throw at me, like right now, I mean, <laughs> I'm in that festive spirit. Nobody pulls off novelty clothing like me. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> if there's a three-piece suit that's got pumpkins or Christmas ornaments on it, it's in my closet. <laughs> I love it. You got some snow there on your uh, shoulder, Richard. There must really oh, be coming God, down out get there. Get that off. Can somebody get me a... Actually, you know what? I'm going to go to the bar and get a drink. Any, uh, anyone need anything? You know what? I'm good. I just topped off. Thank you. Jim, you need something? I'm good. I'm good. I've got my coffee here. I'm good shape. Thank you. Micah, how about you? You look dry. What's going Man, on? Man, I'm okay. I'm anything but dry. You know, I was curious about that scarf you were wearing when you came in. Oh, wait, was that a cat? <laughs> it was. <laughs> I'm hoping it was Scott's cat because it jumped on me outside. Oh, and I was, Scott, do you... By the way, do you own a cat? Because if not, we may there may be a cryptid situation at hand. Uh, no, I do not own a cat at this time. Okay. I, I perhaps should have uh, gotten a blurry picture. We could have used it as quote-unquote evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Forrest, seriously, man, you want a beer? What do you need? I'm not sure that's allowed in the recording space that uh, we are currently renting. Oh, breaking the fourth Be wall right out of the gate. Being it's uh, <laughs> more of an office thing. Really, Forrest? We're in an office that does, <laughs> okay. there's no more All office right. parties. I'm going to go to Scott's bar in his yeah. house where this party is that we're attending. I see. And I'm going to grab a drink. 
Tess, would you like something? I just had a double rum chata, so I think I should slow down before we really get started. Oh, she's <laughs> got the right idea. Okay, I'll be right back. I'm just going to run over the bar, say hi to M and Ro, and then I'll come right on back, okay? Okay, that sounds great, Rich. Thank right. you. It's so nice to uh, hang out with you guys, actually uh, not doing work right now, just kind of hanging out. But by the same token, I feel like uh, maybe there might be some stories we can share with each other, uh, things that uh, we haven't done in the past. and. It is Christmas. I know that one thing that uh, Rich had mentioned to me uh, a couple weeks ago, which was pretty interesting, was about how hand-in-hand Christmas and spooky things seem to go together. How all the seasons like Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas all run together and seem to have some common themes that you don't really think about. I mean, you think about it when you think about Charles Dickens, right? I mean, obviously... That's some really spooky stuff, A Christmas Carol, which I grew up watching in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. There is a famous production of it there that's been running for 30, 40 years uh, that I have been to numerous times when I was in high school. And I took my whole family to just last year again. And it's the same lead. The actor is the same lead, although his son does some of the shows as well. He grew into it. (laughs) Yeah. He's been doing it a long time. It's a really amazing performance uh, and... uh, his son does it too, but also his daughter is Evan Rachel Wood, who is, <laughs> is you might know from Westworld, among other things. Hey, I just got back. I got back with my drink. What do you tell Evan Rachel Wood's going to come to the party? What is this? Yeah, one? Evan Rachel Wood. She's she's actually right over there. Are you serious? Incognito. She's so much shorter in real life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what was that? Were you talking about a, a Christmas Carol? Yeah, I was just talking about a Christmas Carol. I was thinking about what you said last week about how things seem to blur together with Christmas and spooky stuff. And I'm curious about you guys, because for me, it was like, I think it was five, and it was the same Halloween that I saw Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the animated one, the Disney one, and it like completely exploded my brain and connected with some inner like supernatural place. And then I went and saw my first movie in a theater ever in 1971, again, five years old, I had no idea what it was. It was called Scrooge. And my cousins, because it was my family and my cousins and my aunts and uncles, like the whole group of us went to see this on a Saturday afternoon starring Albert Finney. Do you guys know the Mm -hmm. one I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. To this day, my favorite movie because it's my first and it's so great. And it was just so emotional because it was like, oh, it's a Christmas movie, but it's scary. And I couldn't figure that out. And then I saw it and... It was galvanizing because it was so scary and yet it was so joyful. It was like the scariness of Halloween with the redemption of Christmas. And it was like, oh, so it got scary on Christmas Eve, but then everything was okay on Christmas morning. And and somehow that just like formed my entire idea of the world and the holiday and everything. So that movie, the music from that movie, that like connects me to childhood. That's like my favorite childhood memory of Christmas. Are you guys like that? Do you have one? Well, I, I do, but I want I wanted to just mention something you picked up on there. And, and to me, you talk about the yin and the yang, and I think the supernatural and the paranormal, it's like that. It's like life. You know, people tend to think the paranormal is just the spooky and the scary and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I honestly think that it's a continuum, right? I think there's some beautiful stories like Communication from loved ones, uh, angel stories, you know, all yeah. these great things, which are very sweet and, and poignant. And, and, and then you've got, you know, full-blown demons and the djinn and all kinds of crazy stuff. So to me, it's kind of like the paranormal. It wraps that whole continuum because one of my pet peeves that people just think paranormal stuff is scary. And that is a big part of it. But it's also, there's a sweet side to it, too. 
Right. It's like there's the near-death experience, which tend to be like mostly positive, but it was also weird. Like I, as a kid, I always thought it was really amazing and great that this was a day when even grown-ups seemed to acknowledge that there was the supernatural. Like there was a ghost who was going to come to your house and give you presents and your parents were on board with it. So I, well, then I guess it's real. I guess this stuff, and for me, it is real. That's never gone away. My little sister's birthday is on Christmas. So it's been a nightmare for me for 24 years this year. Hi, Gracie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I feel like for me, I do remember it was the first time that I had wonder of things that were, I knew didn't make sense, but that seemed real. Uh, when it came to Santa Claus. And I remember staying up late at night and my mom really went out of her way to make sure that that was happening. We did the cookies and the milk and all that stuff. And at that particular time in my childhood, we were fairly broke. (laughs) I think the word they mostly used in the in the seventies and eighties. But, um, so, but I never felt Colorado days. Was this Colorado Colorado? days? Yeah. When I lived in Denver, uh, in a house behind an Arby's. Yeah. So, (laughs) Oh my God. Are you serious? Like you would look out your window and you could see the Arby's hat lit up pretty much. Yeah. That's a hat, right? That took me a long time to figure that out, by the way. I'm still not sure about that. Some of us thought it was some sort of weird flying saucer, right? You know, it's (laughs) something weird about it. Something weird about it. Yeah. You should all picture a young Scott Philbrook, peering out his window on a Christmas Eve at the Arby's sign, the yeah. cars lined up with all the divorced dads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lakewood, Colorado. Yeah, thanks for bringing us all down. <laughs> you cheered things up, Richard. <laughs> hey, that was my Christmas almost 18 years ago. Okay, so my mom would throw a big Christmas Eve party mm-hmm. for all my relatives. So that was, I don't know, do you guys divide yourselves up? I'm a Christmas Eve guy more than a Christmas morning guy. What are you folks? More Christmas Eve or Christmas morning? I think that changes with age. When you're a kid, it's definitely Christmas morning. The older you get, the more you want to celebrate the night before, right? Or maybe the night yeah. after. I don't know. <laughs> maybe just that afternoon. Maybe it's the nap you look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the nap. Yeah. I could never understand why my parents were always tired. They're always like, oh my God, we're so tired. I'm like, why are you tired? I'm could not be, I'm bouncing off the wall. You're putting all these things together with all these little pieces. Uh, For me, yeah. I was totally Christmas morning as a kid. Now I'm kind of 50-50. I still love Christmas morning. I'm still a kid. But my wife and her family had a strong Christmas Eve tradition. They're Catholic. And they kind of brought me along to it. So now Christmas Eve, now as an adult, has a lot more meaning than it ever did uh, growing up as a kid. Do you guys do a uh, midnight mass? No, we don't do that. Although my wife always watches it on TV. I guess that's a cop out, but, um, but she does, <laughs> she's Italian. So she does this whole thing with fish and, but, but oh. she's, she's changed it. She doesn't cause they have uh, certain kinds of fish that she doesn't care for. So we've kind of bastardized it <laughs> and changed it to like uh, seafood that we like. <laughs> Maybe you know this, but I didn't know this. Isn't it called, you probably know way more than I do, like the night of the seven fishes or something. Yes, that's what it's called. Yeah. And so what, what is the tradition? What do you do? Well, I'm not real clear on that because, as I said, it's been <laughs> Americanized. I think the real Italians have like bacala and all these kind of maybe, I, I mean, to me, not that great fish. And we have like shrimp <laughs> and lobster when we can afford it. And, and, and you no know, fun stuff. Or, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> No, but, no, no uh, lobster roll. Yeah, I like I like plate. our version and, and crab legs and stuff like that. But uh, I love that. I had no idea. And then one of my best friends, I finally said to her, "Nothing personal, and it's cool. It's all." But you never, I on my Christmas Eve party, you never come. 
And she's like, I know, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. We do the Night of the Seven Fishes. And I'm like, okay, you gotta be making this up. No, I have never heard of this. Just tell me you don't want to come to my house. I'm fine. I wish I had my wife here. I could say, hey, explain this to us. But uh, I'm not Italian, so my my (laughs) knowledge is only secondhand, as usual. Scott, you've never heard of this, you said? I have not heard of it until this moment. In the past I'm not sure minutes. I've heard of this either. And now you know <laughs> the rest thing. of the it's story. Just Paul, oh, yes, Harvey. Paul Harvey. <laughs> oh my God, a Paul Harvey reference. Well, Next that, up, right, news. And that boy was Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's now great. you know the rest, the rest of, of the story. Oh, man. We're all radio guys. Come on, we're all old radio guys. Uh, yeah, I used to ride around listening to him in my grandfather's mm-hmm. car. My grandfather was a banker, and he had one of those Lincoln town cars of the two-door one, but the door was longer than yeah, like a four-door absolutely. car. Like if the door, I couldn't even open the door as a kid. It, I needed like help. <laughs> and it, it, it would, when it turned a corner, it would be on two different streets. It was so. Yeah, yeah. It was the Mark III or whatever, because he, he was a, a commercial loan person. So like, and when, so when we would go around in town, you know, God rest his soul, we'd the family would go out to eat. This was in Raleigh, you know, back in the eighties and we would um, all be eating and then we would go to pay and somebody at some other table had seen my grandfather and picked up the tab for the whole family. And I was like, Oh, I was like, that guy is cool. membership has its <laughs> privileges. <laughs> Did your grandfather's car smell like cigarettes? No, he didn't smoke. It did not smell like cigarettes, but oh uh, my God. It smelled like money. No. <laughs> a ton of, yeah, of vinyl, whatever Lincoln was putting in those giant town cars. I mean, that car was huge. I mean, I know I was They smaller. rode like a cloud. A family yeah. friend had one well, of those, and you thing. couldn't feel a bump. No, you couldn't. It was uh, real easy to get car sick. And when you're a little kid, you're like, you're, the dashboard's above your eyebrows, you know? So like, <laughs> when I learned how to drive, it was on my family's Country Squire station wagon, with the power steering. The wood paneling, right? Simulated wood. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was one of those cars where you, you would start to turn it, and then a little while later, it would turn. <laughs> yeah. I Typically, like that's Mark called Twain understeer. piloting <laughs> my way down the Mississippi. <laughs> the steering was relaxed. It was laid back. You know, and coming back to what we were talking about a minute ago, it's interesting to me, too, how many different traditions happen. And even within families, traditions are different. I, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, all the different rules that pop up for Monopoly. Because I always think about, with me and my wife, my family was like in the morning you got up and you opened, you might get open one present the night before and mm-hmm. the morning you got up and just went hog wild. Oh, by the way, there's the thing about does everyone open all at once or are things handed out and everyone pays attention to the person opening? And then oh, yeah, the you got to go around in a circle, go around in a circle. But then the other thing her family does that mine didn't do was completely foreign to me until we got married is there would be the stuff that Santa brought that wasn't yes, even wrapped. We did that. Yes. It's just sitting oh, out. But it wasn't wrapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not wrapped. It's so that when when the kids get up, go in there, it's like, oh, he left this here. Because he does. he's not taking time to wrap. He's got enough crap on his plate. So it's like. Santa, for us, had special paper. In other words, oh. there was the other paper, and then there was the Santa paper. In a minute, I'll tell you about the pickle game. Well, now, wait, wait a please. second. Do we, we have to wait? a lawyer present. <laughs> <laughs> this is 2020, friends. Um, no, <laughs> no, no it's, a, it's perfectly innocent. Actually, this was something I think of as a German lineage, and we kind of borrowed it from a family friend. Tess um, is nodding. It is a uh, ornament in the shape of a pickle. And on Christmas Eve, what we will do, there'll be like little gifts like socks and... Oh, I have heard about this. Yeah, a, a yeah. deck of toy cards, or very minimal gifts. But we have two girls now. Now they're 17 and 21, but they still play the pickle game. And it's kind of evolved into a, a tackle right. sport almost. 
But <laughs> but what you do is is that you hide the pickle ornament on the tree, and you have them in another room. You say whoever finds the pickle gets the pickle prize. Now, of course, we have multiple pickle prizes, so everybody wins. But I mean, now you know it was so cute when they were little. They're like, "Where's the pickle? Where's the pickle?" And now they're like, "Get out of my way!" The tree's down. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like, I, that could end up what do you get? A pair of socks, but it was more kind of pride of place, you know. Wait, Tess, what, what do you know fantastic. about the pickle game? Well, we played it in college, uh, which sounds horrible, but we just had the little trees because I went to the Catholic University of America. That's right. I drinking school with a Catholic problem. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you drink while playing the pickle game? That's the question. <laughs> yes, but what I was going to say is, my dad is also the father of two young girls that are two and a half years apart, and his favorite Christmas tradition is asking for all of the wrapping paper while he ho- drinks his coffee, doesn't say anything, and he just throws it in the fire. And if you have too much wrapping paper in your area, you get a grunt. And it goes right in the fire. And then <laughs> Christmas for me as a child was just pyromania because <laughs> you'd almost want to unwrap everything, not look at the present and want to throw it in the fire. Yeah, I can see What that. if you made a mistake, though, and you accidentally throw like the instructions or something in a fire? How we don't talk about that, that okay. anymore. Oh, okay. There were, there were some loss. There was almost a Game Boy game that, <laughs> oh, that threw that flew in. major so loss. Funny. You know, you say that and now I'm remembering that on mm. that there was a Christmas Eve thing with my grandfather with wrapping paper, but it was balling it up and then throwing it into a bag. And the kids would hold the bag and then he would try to throw it across the room. We sort of do that. Do you wait, you do something like that? Well, I mean, it's not organized, but there's always the big bag and we're t- throwing it because my mother-in-law wants it cleaned up right now. Like it's not, right. we're not doing the messy living room. Yeah. Well, then my father was always about save the paper. That's good paper. <laughs> <laughs> don't save the paper. <laughs> we would then, my brother and I would make a point of shredding every package we opened so that it was, the paper was completely unusable. And uh, we like to think that it drove him crazy. All right. So here's the thing that I'll, I'll, I'll say this. And I want to hear, uh, Rob, if you have anything to add to this conversation or Micah, but like, and Mike, I, mean, I want to know, have you heard of the pickle game? No, I hadn't heard of that pickle game. At okay. Least. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, Just, so I'm getting Mike another drink. Yeah. Please, would you itch? Old buddy, old pal. I knew you'd help me out there. <laughs> Whatever you're having, brother. Ooh, I'm having a thing here called a last word. Are you, do you guys know the last word cocktail? Oh, Tess oh. does. Tess, do you like it? Isn't it, isn't it Hemingway? Oh, no, the, the, you, I think you're thinking of the Hemingway daiquiri which has uh, yes. Luxardo and grapefruit juice. The last word, cocktail, super easy to make for your holiday parties. We'll give you a cocktail recipe if you uh, listeners would like to use it. It's one part gin. Use a London dry gin like uh, Gordon's or Beefeater's. One part green chartreuse, not yellow. One part Luxardo uh, maraschino liqueur. You can get it literally at any BevMo. And one part lime juice. And it's a delicious, sweet, sour holiday drink. Your guests will thank you. Look at that beautiful green color too, Rich. You know, I was thinking, why if we just took a couple of lime wedges and just popped them on the sides and a couple of little black olives, put those on top, you could call it the Baby Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Folks, you have the picture now. And Tess, you like like gin, right? I don't like gin. 
I love gin. Yeah. I make everyone on my birthday take gin shots. Obviously not this year, but in pre-pandemic times, if you want to celebrate with me on my birthday, you're taking a shot of gin. <laughs> so what's your gin? What's your brand? Well, I like slow gin the best, so haymakers. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to, to make a gagging, vomiting noise. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> slow gin. This is such a college thing. Okay, go ahead, Tess. But I also like um, Hendrix's uh, Midsummer which because of the pandemic is in abundance in DC. So I just bought a bottle two days ago. (laughs) It's delicious. Well, I love the bottle too. You know, it's got that wonderful kind of old timey, you know, looking kind of, I don't know if it's really old timey, but it's just a unique kind of, but most gin bottles are clear glass and it's, you know, Hendrix isn't, but uh, it's also got a unique flavor too. Now, again, I'm quite fond of a martini. I'd raise one to the late great, Sean Connery, and I'll point out the only knight who actually ever went in search of the Holy Grail and found it. But, yes, indeed, he no doubt liked his gin, shaken, not stirred. Very good. Very good, Michael. Do you ever have a Vesper? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Here was it. Uh, uh, what is it a measure of Gordon's, a half yes. a measure of vodka? And then, no, 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 it's another measure of vodka and a half a measure of Kina Lillet, which you can't find anymore. So you use Lillet Blanc. <laughs> Dude, you're my hero. You're my friggin' hero. You know that you just off the top of your head, you know the Vesper recipe. This is not only a James Bond fan, this is a classy guy. Well, actually, what it is is Scott asked me to bartend tonight, and really, I should get back to work now because that's all I'm here for is just to bartend. So if you guys want to drink, just let me know, okay? Yes, and to quote uh, Coming to America, (laughs) I almost forgot I was here in a domestic capacity. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I think it's two measures of Gordon, one measure of vodka, and then that half a measure of Kina Lele. Go ahead, take it away, Scott. Yeah, for Frank those of you taking notes at home, and which uh, I made a joke about that a few weeks ago, and apparently a lot of people do take notes when they listen to Astonishing London. So, well, we'll put all the drink recipes and, and any forthcoming food recipes in the show notes. Yes, I think we should do that. Yeah, I was going to say just quickly, my mother-in-law. We we have uh, been celebrating Christmas with her for a while now. Christmas mornings, I, I go see my family on other days. That's the other thing. You got to juggle who you're hanging out with and all that stuff and if there's airplanes oh, yeah. in the middle it's Blondly difficult lay. especially with the yeah. pandemic mm-hmm. but um you know the everybody's getting checks a little christmas check you know a little money coming in and that is the thing that invariably gets caught up with the wrapping paper that sometimes goes into <laughs> either the fire or the trash bag or disappears forever right so there's always like wait where are the after everything is in the trash bags like where did the, where did the check where did that check go that was for you know our son where's that check where's this and a few years ago, we got one. And then um, I moved last year, which most of our listeners know, uh, to the East Coast. And when I got here, I'm like organizing all my file, going through some stuff. And I had some checks to deposit. And I've deposited a check. And it was one that she had given to us for Christmas like two years prior. Seinfeld episode. Seinfeld episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it deposited again. The bank did not catch it. And she gave. she had to call me and be like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> At least she didn't have, she wasn't like uh, Jerry's grandma who had to go to like this horrible neighborhood. In the no, no, no. <laughs> I forgot about that episode. It was, it was like that. She, and it's funny because she's always like, where did that go? Do you, and she's wanting us to stay in control of it, you know? And it's like, I'm always like, don't worry. I put it in my wallet. It's fine. So, but this time I was the, I was the villain. This is Lenu from Nairobi, Africa, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Forrest Burgess and Scott Philbrook. Now let's get back to the show. When you guys were kids, 
I, I don't know why I flashed on this. Maybe it's because you were talking about things getting lost, but was like the greatest thing to find in your stocking. Did you guys ever get McDonald's gift certificates? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All totally. the time. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving, you know, from just receiving it to the eating experience to the experience you have later in the bathroom. It's the gift <laughs> oh. that keeps on giving. Oh. <laughs> and great commercials, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Like, when you're a kid, when you were a kid, when, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, when I was a kid, that was <laughs> like, it was better than money somehow. Yeah. It was just like, the redemption. Oh it was like, you know, you redeem it and magically they give you McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know what it was? It was also like, well, this means I'm allowed to have McDonald's. Like I have control over my McDonald's consumption. Like, yeah. You can't say no. It's like, I've got McDonald's money. I have to spend it at McDonald's, right? <laughs> you can't make me spend it on socks. I feel ripped off. I used to just get office supplies. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Tess, that is so perfect. Here's some nice highlighters. My dad worked from home my entire life growing up. So I hung out with him in his office a lot. We listened to a lot of good music. He's from Detroit. Oh yeah. Um, and Motown. I used to request things like scissors, um, <laughs> number two pencils, a stapler, stapler remover. I got, yes. that was that was two Christmases apart, so that was a little stressful for me. Um, but I did have a clipboard <laughs> that I would check in on the family with. Really? You would check in on the family? You would come you would in? Just check your, in, just your, write your check role. marks. Yeah, okay. This is what prepared you for Astonishing Legends, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love office supplies to this day, but um, there's a joke my dad filmed every single Christmas. I'm 26 now. He probably will also film this Christmas, so thanks, Dad. <laughs> um <laughs> Good for and, him. Well, I asked for a Margaritaville maker, so we'll see. We'll oh, see if Santa comes through with that. That sounds uh, nice. Living alone during a pandemic is fun, people. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the um, iconic quotes that gets quoted by my family is about age eight or nine, I got a pair of safety scissors after lusting after them. And uh, I screamed to the camera, scissors, how did he know? <laughs> and wait, so that's captured when at the top of the show when we said we were recording this, and you said, "Great, this is going to be around forever." That moment yes. is around forever. Scissors, how did you know? And also, you guys <laughs> mentioned getting gifts from you know your family and Santa. I also got gifts from Harry Potter. Ooh, so, what? Whoa! Explain that, please. There was one year there was a lot of um, specially wrapped presents, and they said from your best friend HP. And again, that was also caught on tape, and I look like I'm about to pass out. Jim and I would have seen the HP and thought, Lovecraft, oh, wow. exactly. <laughs> I was not allowed to That's read exactly about Cthulhu. Right. Cthulhu remembered me on Christmas. Oh, wonderful. I'm the luckiest boy alive. My daughter, pre-pandemic, she was over in London right before the pandemic broke, and she got to meet Daniel Radcliffe because she went to see a play and fi finally got to meet him in person. He said it was incredibly nice, incredibly nice. Oh, After a play cool. came oh, out, God. it was a surrealist play. I can't remember. It's off the tip of my tongue. Was it Ionesco's Rhinoceros? No, but it was a surrealist play. I can't, I can't remember who it was. It was a surrealist, and it was him and Alan Cumming. And uh, Radcliffe oh, came wow. out. Radcliffe came out and spoke to people afterwards, and spoke to my daughter and her friend. And that that was a frightening time this year. She had to rush back uh, in March due to the pandemic. But uh, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, pandemic memories. It's funny we've already got these, but I mean, that was one of mine. Was right after everything struck here. 
you know, stateside and Jim calling me <laughs> and telling me, you know, my daughter just got her home. Everything's good. Yeah. You know, and I took this sigh of relief, you know, because I mean, you know, we've worked together for years. Sure. And I mean, it's been one of those years. So all the better, you know, I think with the fire going blazing hot, like it is it almost could potentially, I mean, the CDC doesn't recommend this, but it could actually burn off, you know, some of the, uh, the danger. I feel safer here. Just don't, don't ruin the illusion for me guys. Right? Actually, brought, I brought a campfire with me. <laughs> oh, there it is. By the way, where is that? Oh, I think Forrest's got my guitar pick. Is he Forrest, still Forrest, on? Yeah. You know, it'd be nice to to hear. Were you going to play something for us tonight, Micah? You meet well. If, if Forrest will bring my guitar pick back, yeah, I might. But hold on, I have to uh, get it from the uh, uh, the Kingston Trio over in the yeah. corner. <laughs> right. It's got that you know the Kingston Trio and that they showed up to your party. Well, it takes a worried man uh, well, to sing a worried know. song, so it does. Yes, <laughs> it's a multi you know time traveling dimensional kind of. It, it Tess is like who? What is that? No, correct. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were listening to music with your dad. What was he listening? Listening to Tess. It was Kiss, wasn't it? Detroit. What did I grow up listening to? Yeah. CCR. Oh, yeah. oh, oh very nice. Okay. nice. And Pinball Wizard, some Clash. Oh, My dad's good. favorite song is Lost in the Supermarket. So nice. oh, we cool. danced to that like every holiday season nice. after he's had oh. some red wine. <laughs> that helps. Oh, that helps. Speaking of that, I'm going to go grab a cryptid from the fridge. Go, go for, for it. it. Let's see if we can get. This sharing of Christmas uh, memories kind of makes me think, you know, with our society today, there's so much division and we don't have the cultural touchstones that we used to have. You know, used to back even before our time, people used to tune in and watch uh, Ed Sullivan, everybody in the country on Sundays at whatever it was, seven o'clock yeah. or whatever it was on CBS. Right. And, uh, you know, later on Carson, you know, and we, we grew up with these like people that everybody experienced, movies that everybody experienced, but now everything is so bifurcated and, and, and spread out. The sharing of Christmas traditions is one of the few things as pretty much as or holiday traditions is something that most of the society can relate to. One of the few cultural things that kind of keeps us glued together, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I really agree. In fact, do you remember, oh, look at that. What do you got yeah, there? Squat, that Squatch. Oh, Bat Squatch. Yes, I've had that before. <laughs> I said I was going to go to get a cryptid from the fridge. Yeah. This is yeah. I, well, I thought it was we're a bit. Lying. You were serious. <laughs> All right, do it, Tess. Do it. <laughs> hey, Jim, when you were a kid, was it a big deal like it was for me when the Christmas specials like Rudolph? Oh, yes. You know, this was pre-VCR because I grew up in the 70s. Yeah. I was a little kid in the 70s. No VCR. So either you saw it on that Saturday night at 8 o'clock on CBS or you didn't see it for another year. That was it. I know. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or exactly. Grinch, Charlie Brown. Mm -hmm. It was like you sat down and you watched it. And those were like big broadcasts. That was like, you know, brought to you by Prudential. You know, yeah. I mean, it was. Or GE did the like first a, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in the 60s. They they were oh, the really? sponsor. Yeah, because the Red Nose, it was GE. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Oh, Wow. Well, that's great. Yeah, but but that's the joke now. It's like it used to be a big deal, and now we've got all of those on DVD, yeah. and it's just like, okay, what do you want to watch tonight? Okay, Little Drummer Boy, here we go. Okay, so here's another Christmas memory. So I grew up in Monterey Park, which is in East L.A., so just a few minutes outside of downtown L.A., but but east. And we would get our Christmas tree, and I don't know how this started, but we would get it. We would drive down into the into the train yards, in downtown Los Angeles, these big open like train yards at night, and they would be pulling the, the trees 
out of the boxcars and shaking them out. And they, there was one section where they would auction them off and other sections where they were already hammered into stands and stood up and then you could choose from them. And so it's it like was a fish a big, market, but with trees. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> in, in this big, dark area in the glow of downtown L.A. That's and cool. again, my cousins, Jan and Rob, my aunt Sally and Uncle Bob, and then my parents and my brother, John. So the eight of us would go out to usually just do a Mexican restaurant for dinner and then go to the, the train yards. And my mom and my aunt Sally would pick out the trees and it would take I mean, they had to find the best trees, so it would take forever, which was great for us. So we could run around in the trees and around and everything. And looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I loved that because when am I ever going to be in downtown L.A. in the dark at night? I got to be Carl Kolschak for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) The great Dan McGavin. Yeah. Oh, Jim, you don't want to start the Kolchak discussion with Did you have like the the hat and the whole get up and the tape recorder, the big tape recorder? I now own, you you don't understand the sickness (laughs) you're you're witnessing. I worked with a guy who dressed just like Kolchak. I've got the suit. Awesome. I've got the, the tie, the knit tie. I literally have the camera and the tape recorder that he used. I've got those models. For my costume oh, that so I great. wear now, and and everyone looks at me and says, "The hell are you?" <laughs> <laughs> Look at the DVD set right over there. So I'm a fan too. <laughs> Next Halloween, it. we'll we'll have to have another party. But anyway, but that was always a big deal. And then we and then we go back to my house first. And if Christmas tree night coincided with and with Grinch or Charlie Brown or Rudolph. It was just like the stars had aligned. And then while while the dads were pulling the trees off the roof of their car and trying to get them set up and figure out the lights, we would all run into the family room and watch the specials with our cousins. And it was the greatest night ever. Ah, that sounds amazing. Well, let me pose this uh, question to everybody. I'm not sure if I can play this while we're here because we uh, this is, of course, all spontaneous at this party, on my phone, Thank I'll just crank the phone up. I'll crank the phone, and we'll hey, all get around. Phone? That looks Forrest pretty nice. Is that the new hey, iPhone look, 12? Forrest is here. Forrest, oh my God, you're at the party Forrest. now. It is so good to see you, man. It's the magic the guitar, of Christmas. Yeah, well, yeah. the guitar Where'd I Rob got from. Uh, I, I don't understand what happened to Rob, but anyway. Rob's hanging out underneath the mistletoe by your uh, staircase. I, I'm hanging something. out there by myself, you know, just... Kind of staring. I've got hope in my eyes. There's a glistening there, okay? <laughs> I think that's the pre-work is drink, that but that's, that is? All that's right. fine. Yeah. Uh, I had to get Micah's guitar from, uh, is it Jim's, uh, <laughs> who's the guy, the musician? Not Jim Harrison. Jim, uh, uh, no, he used to sing about UFOs and abductions. Oh, and Jim Sullivan. Jim, Jim Sullivan. Jim Sullivan. I always, yeah. Conf- yeah, I confuse that. That's the only thing they found in his uh, VW he left his guitar. in the desert yeah. was his guitar. Which he never left anyway. Hard to believe he would get on a UFO without his guitar. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really hard to believe. Maybe he took lessons, though. Maybe they had some, like, really cool instruments on that UFO. That's the only thing. I'll tell you what. It's like time travel. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, that Jim Sullivan album is amazing. That's a good album. It's good music. Hmm. Just in the way that it is very mysterious, very ominous, just... An album uh, detailing like this guy who he likes to drive out into the desert and he has some weird esoteric song about a UFO and uh, and all this That's stuff he and did. then he and ends up yeah. going missing like 
Yeah, it's like he wrote a song later, where he's like, uh, "I'm gonna get in my Volkswagen Beetle and take my guitar and drive into the desert and get pretty on." Pretty much, and then that's what happened. <laughs> it, I, the most interesting <laughs> thing, Wait, most you interesting don't know the story, about, Rich? No, you don't what? know the story of Jim Sullivan, man. No. All right, so do not he know. he had a cameo in Easy Rider. Um, <laughs> oh well, now I know. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about <laughs> you're old. You should know that movie. Jeez, man. No, uh, Jim Sullivan. He was from originally Oklahoma, and he moved to California, and he started to make his uh, name for himself. You know, playing in local bars, local clubs, and, and and stuff like that. And he eventually found some backers that helped him get some funding to make an album. And it was actually produced by the Wrecking Crew. And uh, and yeah. like, there's like a lot of lush instrumentation on it, which is uh, their addition to it. But uh, uh, the way that people describe Jim Sullivan is like he could really capture you just by you know with him and his guitar and his voice is very unique. There's a, like nice. a, a very longing yeah. aspect to it. It's pleasant. A lot of people tried to compare him to like James Taylor back in the day, but uh, his voice was a little more unique than that. But uh, he puts out this album in, I think, 67, 68. It's called UFO. And uh, it doesn't really pick up any attention. I'll be right back. I'm going to, I'm going to look for my copy while you're telling the story. All right. Hey, Scott, when you're going out to get a drink, <laughs> grab me another last word, okay? Would you? <laughs> <laughs> so Jim Sullivan, he, he cuts another album under the short-lived Playboy Records label. And uh, it was a self-titled album, a little more upbeat, uh, not so much the music that Jim was making in the clubs, uh, very different, but uh, nobody really latched on to him. So he devised this plan. He was going to leave his wife and his son in California. He was going to drive all the way to Nashville to become a songwriter out there. And he was going to make money. He was going to bring them back over. And he was going to drive there himself all alone. And uh, he made it to New Mexico. And uh, he was actually pulled over by the police for being just excessively tired. So... They, Lonnie Zamora. Uh, there's a lot of that uh, in New Mexico, but uh, he registered for this hotel, never went into it, mind you. He actually took the key and uh, locked it in the room. He continued driving, and uh, his car was found on this remote road near a ranch owned by this uh, family that allegedly had ties to the mafia. They were the uh, Gennetti family. They claim to see him, but they don't know what happened to him. But uh, the the nice thing that people like to say is that he caught a ride on a UFO. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. That's yeah. cool. Wow. It, I'd never it is heard a good that. Album. I'm like Richard. I never heard it. If you're going to catch a ride on a UFO, New Mexico is the place to do it. it, it yeah. It seems to be. Yeah. You, there's just a lot. When you hear this story, you think, oh, this is a story. And you think, I'm going to go download that after we you know, go home from the party here. And it's not going to be good. It's good. This no. it's like good music. It's good right. singing. It's good music, and the whole album is good. Mm-hmm. And I went to look for it in the closet that needs a lot of work, so I couldn't quite get to my stack of albums. But oh, <laughs> no, awesome. I have it in there. That's okay because they re-released it with like that heavy grain vinyl. It's out mm-hmm. now. It's just like yeah. they're really, yeah. It's but it's good. It's good. May, music. may I share a spooky music story? Yeah, I think yeah. I know the one, and if so, I want to hear it. And you know, I get to tell the preface to this too because yeah. this is one of my favorite stories. And uh, I should have mentioned this earlier. You know, being the resident avocationalist historian, 
you know, there's a long tradition of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve, right? M.R. James was a famous teller of stories, you know, writer of ghost stories. This is a really good one. And if I'm correct, Jim, maybe it has to do with country music. It does. It does. I grew up with country music. Like, I mean, really country music. My family was from West Virginia and it was like, my wife left me, my dog left me, my car broke down and, you know, I got my (laughs) (laughs) D-I-V-O-R-C. You know? <laughs> so, so anyway, you know, you know what's amazing about songs like that is it takes a whole room full of people to come up with those kind of songs. That's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> anyway, this is supposedly a true story. And I heard this years ago before podcasting was invented. And um, it surrounds two figures in country music, and you might be peripherally familiar with them. One by the name of Merle Kilgore, who wrote the song Ring of Fire for Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And who was also an artist. And then another guy by the name of Johnny Horton, uh, who uh, had the song The Battle of uh, New Orleans and uh, okay. uh, some other songs. So anyway, uh, they were good friends. This is around 58, 59. They were both interested in the supernatural. So they said they're going to work out a code if one of them goes before the other one because uh, they want to know, you know, like Houdini. Let's see if this is real. So the code was, uh, the drummer is a rummer and he can't keep the beat. So anyway, Johnny Horton goes on uh, within a year or two, ironically, to be killed by a drunk driver. And apparently he had a very strong fear of drunk drivers. He even, before he died, gave a guitar to Merle Kilgore saying, I'm not going to be around and, and then this tragedy happened. So several years later, Kilgore, who, you know, again, successful songwriter, uh, an artist in his own right, became the manager for Hank Williams Jr., who was very successful in the 80s, uh, 70s, and 80s. There was somebody in New York, there was like a psychic, and they were listening for a ball game in New York. And it was on a country station. And this person never listened to country music, but it was rained out. So they turned on the station and they play Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. And the, the DJ comes back on and says, of course, that's the great song Ring of Fire written by my friend Merle Kilgore. So this psychic says, oh, we've been getting these messages from somebody for a Merle Kilgore through these seances that they were holding. And they somehow got in touch with Kilgore Horton had been dead for a number of years and said, Mr. Kilgore, I think we have a message where somebody's trying to, to reach you from the other side. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who? Who? He said, Johnny, Johnny, someone, Johnny, Johnny, I don't know who Johnny is. And he said, OK, well, what's the message? And he said, well, you know, the message, it doesn't make any sense. It's the drummer was a rummer and he can't keep the beat. Wow. So, and and that was in a book. There's a famous um, a Nashville DJ by the name of Ralph Emery who was on WSM for years and, and uh, a huge deal and uh, in the country music industry. And he wrote that in his book. And I think there's an account, I think, by Merle Kilgore's son on the internet, if you look it up. But that, to me, was one of the, the most interesting stories. Either that's a flat-out lie or that's some of the most incredible evidence for life after death ever. That's one of the best wow. stories. And I'll tell you, where I first heard that story was I was on my way back. My band and I had been performing in Montgomery, Alabama the night before. Ooh. And I'll bet Jim knows the connection here. Yeah. So, of course, Jim knows the story, too, because, again, he and I were on the phone the next morning. And the reason I called Jim is because... I had just been to the Oakwood Cemetery where Hank Williams was buried. Oh, yeah. 
we'd been playing in town. The rest of the band had left the night before to go to another gig. And I was the only one that didn't have to go play anywhere. So I'm like, well, I'm staying in Montgomery and I'm going to go visit Hank Williams tomorrow morning. And I did. And I went up there and it was the most eerie and surreal experience because the entire cemetery was empty. But I went up there and of course there is the grave. If you've ever been there, there's Hank and Audrey, you know, and then there's a personal message engraved in the marble from Hank Williams Jr. that says, you know, please respect this site and, you know, don't desecrate basically the grave of Hank Williams because people always want to go up there and they want to leave flowers, but some people also want to have their picture taken or something. And I was like, you know, I want to be really respectful. I don't want to do anything uh, that would be untoward, but I thought it surely wouldn't be inappropriate to sing a song, right? And so I sang a song by Hank Williams all alone in the graveyard to, well, there was a audience of crows, a murder of crows <laughs> in the tree nearby. A murder. Yeah, but I sang a uh, song for uh, Hank Williams there. I think it was probably Lost Highway, uh, right there in the uh, in the grave graveyard, you know, right in front of his grave. And I, you know, I mean, that's a really unique experience. And I was like, if anybody would appreciate this, it would be Jim Harrell. Because, you know, Jim, I know Jim's appreciation for country music. And so I'm on my way back driving from Montgomery and like, Jim, guess where I was? He says, you know, I got a good country music ghost story for you. So that was quite an experience that day. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. That's a cool story. That's a great story. And that kind of experience, Micah, that's such a spiritual experience. That is so cool. And I'm, I'm envious, by the way, of people that, uh, like yourself, that can play music like that. And, you know, it's really cool. It's, it's a neat thing. It's a neat story to share. So. What I find interesting about, like, you know, talking about playing in a cemetery is that, uh, you know, the more and more that we learn about, you know, Robert Johnson, the blues musician who went to sell his soul at the crossroads, you know, you learn that he learned to cut his teeth and, and was taught to play guitar sitting in a cemetery, which is... It builds that legend up a little bit more to the point where, you know, when you listen to those songs, they they have that otherworldly feeling to them. Like, you can't not think that the man didn't talk to the devil when he made these songs. I had the weirdest experience with Robert Johnson's legend about a month ago. Uh-oh. I have the Campfire Show where people come on and tell their ghost stories. Love that show. His campfire is right behind him right there. You Thank can you. actually see it. Thank Look you. At it. Well, right I, can, there. I can see the campfire. I, I can, I can, there is that. He can bring it right up. I just want to say Campfire is one of the reasons that Astonishing Legends got started. Thank you. And we bow down to you. It is so great to have you on the show tonight. Uh, there are people that talk about Podfathers, and you are the original. A minute ago when you were telling that story and you said way back before podcasts, I was thinking five minutes before you started doing it because that's yeah. how long you've been at it. <laughs> You're so prolific, and we just we have so much respect for you, and, oh, thank and we really you. appreciate you coming on tonight. So. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> and Adam Curry is the real Podfather, but uh, I'll, I'll take, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take paranormal you. Podfather. How about you that? always say that. You've said that to me before. Yeah, but, he's uh, the man. I, I, he's the man. Yeah. He's the co-inventor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With the campfire, people, we basically have it where people can, we set up a form and we say, you know, schedule your own time and we call them and then we amalgamate the shows. But sometimes the show produces itself because we don't say call this day if you have USFO stories, call that day if you have ghost stories. But some days the calls line up like there's an unseen hand producing them. And this was about a month ago. And I know I'm going to miss something about this. Well, we had a woman call in about an extraordinary series of synchronicities in her life. And then we had a guy call in from Australia who talked about 
he went to visit the town where his, uh, I guess, uh, high school sweetheart or something was. She had uh, died, and he was uh, thinking of her. And that night he was asleep, and his iPad came on and started playing Robert Johnson. And the thing was is that his friend loved Robert Johnson, and he bought that compilation on iTunes or something because of that connection and had never played it, but it started playing itself. Now, that would be weird enough. The next caller is a woman uh, who is from England, and she talked about a friend of hers who unfortunately committed suicide, and this strange series of events happened, and they were driving to his funeral, and this song from Kiss that he loved came on, and then they got to the funeral late, and they said, all you missed was the opening song, and it happened to be the same song, which was weird. But then I started telling her, I said, well, there was just this weird synchronistic story about, you know, music and how synchronicities happen with music. I've had some of them of my own with uh, past loved ones. And, and she said, yeah. She, and I, I told her there was this art. And I told her the Robert Johnson story because I figured I'd put these back to back on the show. And she said, oh, my God, Jim, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, what? She said, I just finished a drawing of a musician a few minutes before we talked on the phone. And I said, yeah, who was the artist? She said, Robert Johnson. And she sent me the picture immediately (laughs) after the show. And it was Robert Johnson at the crossroads. So I called that episode, what was it? uh, Synchronicity at the crossroads. I mean, it's just crazy. (laughs) It was just crazy. It was crazy because it was one of those things where if I heard it, I'm like, oh, come on. That's too on the nose. But it happened. It happened sitting right here about a month ago. And none of it was pre-planned. It was just totally weird. It was a synchronicity of synchronicities. Very strange. Hey, Jim, what do you think the synchronicities mean? I had a pretty weird one recently myself, which wasn't related to music. But, I mean, you know, what, what do you think the synchronicity actually entails? Is there some significance to the synchronicity in that experience itself? I don't know. <laughs> That's my line, guys. I don't know. I just know something weird's going on, but I don't know what it is. Quick question for you, Jim. Being a regular podcaster and, and way more prolific than we are, <sighs> um, we find them a lot with the topics we cover. Mm-hmm. Things come out like, and somehow it's like we release. We don't plan it at all because we can't plan anything because we're inept. But like, <laughs> we'll release a show, and there'll be some anniversary relating to the topic or something. Like, does that kind of stuff happen to you too? Yeah, weird stuff like that happens. I almost think sometimes it's a wink and a nudge. And sometimes there might even be a trickster element, you know, to it. Like, hey, you want to delve in this stuff? I'll show you something. (laughs) And I think that... That feels right. It it feels like people... And I don't know if you guys have had, like, really big supernatural experiences. I've never really had a, you know, ghost or seen a UFO. This is the great tragedy of Rich right here. Yeah. (laughs) He's only written one of the greatest paranormal movies ever, but... Yes, one of the greatest paranormal movies ever. Here, here. I will drink to that. Mothman Prophecies. You're too kind, and for those of you at home, it's available on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Those royalty checks, how sweet it is. Still one of my favorite films to this day, seriously. And well, it, yes. it, I, I wasn't really planning on talking about that, but but it is. I mean, it is a Christmas movie, you know. Yeah, it good is, point. and for me, it's sort of the artistic impulse. Look, anyone who knows any of this stuff and is listening to this show probably knows that. Obviously, I was not paying scrupulous attention to recording all of the facts of the Mothman case in the movie. There, there, there was a lot of invention, a lot of the 
events that happened are represented in a certain way. Are you way, saying this because you've updated. been reamed by trolls for years now? Or are you just like, <laughs> no, no, not really. I mean, they're not, oddly enough, there are not a lot of Mothman purists who are like, how dare yeah. you not? It's not a documentary, it's a piece of yeah, right. exactly. But the notion of placing it on Christmas Eve, you know, I mean, the Silver Bridge did, you know, that incident did occur yeah, in that was December. Yeah. But putting it on Christmas Eve and, and sort of marrying it to the very human traditions, but also bringing in the supernatural and the unknowable, to me, felt very natural. And I was going to say in response to what Jim was talking about and what Michael was asking about synchronicities, I would love to know what you guys think. But but the more you look into this stuff and the more books you read, the more people you talk to, the more you arrive at a place of, okay, this stuff happens. Things happen. We get that. That's no longer the question. The evidence is sort of there. It's the theory behind it. Mm. Why is it happening? Who is it representing? Who's talking? What's going on? And that human impulse to want to immediately then invent a cosmology and say, okay, so here's what it is. Here's what it means. Here's the punchline. That's what you want to do. And I find that with groups of people like this, typically, there's that sort of Fortean impulse not to do that. You mean groups like us huddled in the corner at this Christmas party? <laughs> yeah. Uh, huddled by the fire. I don't know about you guys. I'm over here. <laughs> as, as, our, as our partners are all looking at us going, why do they always group up like that and talk about that weird <laughs> You know what? Let them. It's like you need, something is happening, but we simply don't know what. I kind of have an interesting analogy here, and I'm going to bring it into the more nerdy side of things. So one of the things that uh, I, I'm working on right now is a uh, an actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast. So full nerd, nerding out here. But um, one of the uh, the settings in which you can play Dungeons & Dragons is called the Forgotten Realms. And the way that the magic works in the Forgotten Realms is that there is essentially a god that creates it by weaving together strands of magic, essentially. So when you actually look at the magic, you're looking at a collection of strands. So for me, when you, know, you, you have these synchronous moments, what I firmly believe is that something is allowing you to take a look at the weave and just see that these things are connected in some way. You may not know how they're connected. And, and ultimately, I think, for me, living with the mystery is a lot more interesting than looking for the solution. Because with the solution, what is left to, to the mystery, you know? And, right. and But Rob, when you started out, were you looking, were you looking for the answer? Because I was. I've had a lot of experiences in my life, and I thought for the longest time that I wanted answers. And then I think I just came, arrived at the conclusion that what would having the answers really mean to me? And, I, and, I, and you know, for a lot of people who have studied this stuff longer than I have, I'm sure it would mean a lot more. But I am one of those people that firmly enjoys living in the mystery. Oh, you guys are light years ahead of me. You guys were looking for the answer. I spent 20 years looking for the question. Seriously. <laughs> I'm the only one who's still trying to figure out the question. Did you ever find any question? I don't even know the question. <laughs> in the wrong guy, Rich. But that brings up a good point. We may be so far 
off base with our explanations. It's kind of like an ant trying yeah. to explain a skyscraper. Yeah. And whatever's going on be may be so far beyond our comprehension that our explanations are laughable, maybe if you compare it to the actual reality. Well, yeah, you know, and, and back to Rob's point, you know, I mean, again, looking at that through the magical lens, I'm, I'm, you know, reminded of Arthur Clark, Arthur C. Clark, you know, talking about any significantly advanced technological development or technology would be indistinguishable from magic to a lesser advanced yeah, civilization perceiving him, right? it, right? You know, I think it's Clark's third law. And we could say, Okay, these things which we call supernatural, let's, let's filter that through a technological lens. That's the popular thing to do these days. What if UFOs, rather than being, you know, incredible technology, you know, like we would perceive it, right? You know, a technology that a propulsion system that can carry an alien, you know, being from, you know, Proxima Centauri to here. What if that's just what it looks like when the operators enter the matrix and interact with us, the Sims? Mm. And what if the synchronicities are just glitches in the matrix in that literal sense like what we see in the films what if that represents little minor rips tears wrinkles in time itself and time just a portion of that fabric of that matrix in which we operate you know when you begin to think about the paranormal in that way i mean i'm not really a proponent of one of these grand unified theories of the paranormal but boy i tell you if there was one it's interesting that a lot of the sort of stuff people have been saying was paranormal for years is starting to come around and finally kind of touch the edges of what Elon Musk and, you know, a lot of others talk about when they discuss the idea of a simulated reality. So I, I like to at least think that maybe there could be some harmony there, whether or not we see a grand unified theory. I think when it comes to something like UFOs, it's, you know, it was it was my focus for like about five years. One of the things that always fascinated me is just how at the bare bones level, what a UFO is, is language it's a communication device at the very base minimum because when you talk to witnesses they react in a certain way whenever they see a ufo when you talk to abductees or experiencers or something like that uh, one of the most eerie stories that i ever heard was uh one that mike clellan put in one of his books and he talked about how he was sitting in bed one night just reading and he saw a light outside and he went to the window and he saw a like, group of like five gray aliens approaching his house. And instead of going into panic mode, he got into bed and he fell asleep. That doesn't make sense to me that like at the base, there is some form of language there. And that happens so much that people yeah. just go back to sleep. No, and we've talked about what uh, it happened to Rob. It happened Forrest to calls it paranormal apathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it really is. It really is because like Occam's razor almost doesn't apply. Or yeah. if it does, it's on such a deep level that we understand it in totally different means. And I think that that's what's so fascinating about it all. Even if you think of like the UFO itself as like a living organism, because like it seems like that theory has been given life again because it was it was big in the 50s. And now uh, it's kind of returned with um, I, I can't remember the documentary. I think it was just called Lights in the Sky that just came out. Um, this uh, one female, um, I, I forget, I think she was like a. Uh, photo expert or something like that to slowed down and like zoomed in on the um, the uh, Colorado drone footage and and stuff like that and what these things look like uh, at least that close up they look like amoebas and like cell like 
organisms that are doing strange things. So I think I've always just like gravitated to those aspects, the, the really off the wall aspects. And, and it's interesting to see that they're kind of like they're given a little more of a spotlight now, which I, I, I it's just so fascinating to me. How's it? This is Brant from Hawaii, but I'm living in Japan. Ima kiteru no wa Scott Fulbrook to Forest Burgess no Astonishing Legends desu. Dewa bangumi ni mororimashou. Since we're at a party, it feels right to talk about other parties. So one thing that I've noticed in a lot of Grand Unified, you know, theories of the paranormal, the kind of broader connected lines is we forget to put humans in it and how the way we speak, the way we talk, and the avenues we have for discussing these things change the stories and inform us. And、uh, my five year anniversary with Astonishing Legends was in September. So now I've been crazy for five years. r i g h But in you know, my quote unquote real life, even though what we're doing now feels way more real, but maybe it's just the bat squatch talking. Um, I don't really have any friends or family who have ever been interested in the paranormal. That's not to say that they're not supportive, but it's not something I expo- am exposed to in my day to day life at my full time job. Yes, I have one of those. Isn't that sad?、Um, <laughs> at my full time job, you know, in my social circles and people I date and activities I do and clubs I'm involved in. But one thing I've noticed in the five years is. Oh, Tess works for a paranormal podcast is everyone's go to fun fact. And when that kind of gets out at parties, even at my work, people will come up to me in random small moments,、yes. kind of like the one we're having right now. And they tell me a story. And it is people, I mean, my, my, my full time job, I actually work for the DOD.、Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're copying. I can't believe you're copying, but thank you. I do.、Sure. Yeah. I'm a, technically, I'm a defense contractor. Sorry. <laughs> And before that, I worked for the Smithsonian. So I've been in DC in the government my whole、yep. career. She secretly controls our entire organization for anybody that's listening to us. I do have a clearance level <laughs> that I can't disclose.、Um, <laughs> Need to know basis. But that being said, what I'm saying is, especially at work, I talk to a lot of straight laced people. And the amount of people who you would never expect to, one, feel comfortable, and two, even have the stories. You kind of become beacons and podcasts and subreddits and movie communities and all these things that we have kind of become these little beacons in the night for discussing this. And as we connect and as we're, these you know, avenues are opened, I think discussing it actually makes everything more real. And the ability to feel comfortable in that communication is part of the grand unified theory of the paranormal. And to forget us in that, I think is sometimes. You know, a mistake. What else do we have to look at? What else is there but our,、mm-hmm. our experience of the thing that cannot be nailed down and can't be trapped in a laboratory? So it's always a human story. And I love the fact that people come to you, and I'm actually wondering about you know, the rest of you if people who find out what it is you do or you know, the, about your podcasts and things, if That immediately, because I think it does, I think it becomes people like, oh, so you'll listen without judgment or criticism or mockery.、Mm-hmm. And so let me share with you something、yeah. that is very personal. And it is not about me making money or wanting attention, just 
here's something that happened. Is this, is anyone else ever talking about this? I mean, do people do that? Well, actually, I got to say with my campfire show, I was totally surprised about that. I started the original show, Paranormal Podcast, in 05. I started uh, this show. 05. Came, That's 2005, yeah. <laughs> people. In 1905, <laughs> I got out there. <laughs> no, a, you're not that old, Jim. You know, I'm just saying. Cylinders and hair. You've been out there a long time. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, um, yeah, yeah. And then in 2009, I started Campfire. And I thought, oh, this will be a fun little. Uh, one week I didn't have a topic. And I'm like, well, why don't I just have listener stories? Now, I'm not the, uh, <laughs> not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I realized, ooh. <laughs> So anyway, I started this show and I thought it would just be fun, but I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, oh my God, I can tell these stories and you're not going to make fun of me or you're not going to say this is BS or whatever it is because they're used to being ridiculed. And it just shocked me how many people have stories that they want to tell and they just, they need somebody to just listen to them. That's it. Just yeah. listen to them and, and acknowledge that experience and not say, well... You know, well, you sure it wasn't swamp gas, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. And it really, I think it it really does speak to it. And then to Richard's point, it is that scenario where when people find out you do this, they say, you know, and even the skeptics will say, oh, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't, I don't go for it. There was this one time, though, and then they'll tell their story. I mean, I think almost everybody and, and even Dr. Michael Shermer, there's a great article in Scientific American about one of his paranormal experiences, about when he enforced to shaking his head, so he probably knows yes. what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it, it's where he was getting married, I guess, you know, later in life, and his wife's grandfather, I think it was, or father or grandfather had passed. And she said, oh, I wish he was here today. I wish he was here. And there was a radio that he had given her that was broken. And all of a sudden that day, it started playing on their wedding day. And then at the end of the day, it stopped playing and it never played again. And, and Shermer said, you know, a uh, famous skeptic, of course, said, you know, uh, of course it wasn't paranormal, but it's one to shake one's skepticism to the core. And the thing is, is that, and, and I've interviewed Shermer and a heck of a nice guy. And I, what I love about him, he may disagree with you, but he fully supports your right to, to right. believe in the supernatural, which I yeah. think so much is lacking these days of oh, yeah. being able to agree to disagree. But even the hardest core skeptic, Dr. Michael Shermer, has his own supernatural story. I mean, I think that's yeah. great. Well, you know, I mean, I wouldn't call him maybe the, not to disagree, I mean, well, you well, know. Well, no, I mean, but a, 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 a well-known skeptic, I should say. Yeah, yeah, we, we've had that conversation. Yeah, I mean, there, there are people who, you know, might be much further on the ideological spectrum as far as skepticism goes. Shermer, again, to me, is the ideal skeptic in the sense that he is a person who says, you know, well, do you have evidence for that claim? But when he had his own Again, what you could only call like what Jim's describing there. And again, I've read that, you know, blog too, and it's an incredible story. When you've had that experience that seems to be something paranormal and you come away from it going, I'm sure there's a rational explanation. And, you know, I'm actually, I'm with Shermer on this. I mean, I, I really think at some point, maybe the paranormal or the supernatural, we will redefine it once we understand it. But for the time being, it's not something we understand. We haven't been able to connect you know, the, the limitations of science to the unknown that we see in the distance on the horizon. Once science is able to bridge that gap, the supernatural becomes natural, right? All Shermer's saying is, I didn't have a natural explanation for what happened that day, and yet he got ridiculed. People jump in there on the blog and they're commenting, I am almost embarrassed to read this. And I'm thinking, you know, the problem is, 
that people think that the right way to go about engaging in dialogue anymore is to ridicule the experiences of others. How wonderful and how diverse our world is. Creeds, religions, ideas, height, color, you know, everything you can imagine. We are all so different and that I couldn't imagine anything more beautiful. So why can't we all have the opportunity within reason to interpret our experiences each and to his own, you know? And Shermer had that one that expanded, if anything, his you know, scope of what reality was and how far those limits can go. I think that's a beautiful thing, frankly. And I think he's brave to talk about it too. Oh, I agree. I agree with you. And, and I also think you're completely wrong. <laughs> I need one. <laughs> and that's the last word. Speaking. Baby Yoda's then. We'll drink to that. Baby Yoda. I need one more. One more baby Yoda. Richard, is that a lampshade? That you have a lampshade on your head, Donna. That's what it looks like over there in the corner. Look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We do our thing. We know who our audience is. Shermer does his thing, and he knows who his audience is. And they're going to have the same reaction when he says, hey, something odd happened. I don't really understand it to if we get to uh, Fordian buzzkilly, because people come to us for wonder and for mystery. And while, Micah, I agree with you, I think there are a lot of things that that as we understand them slowly drift into the realm of of the natural and not the supernatural. But the, the more I read of, you know, George Hansen and Patrick Harper and this wonderful book I just read by a guy named S.D. Tucker called Blythe Spirits, which is very much like Trickster in the Paranormal by George Hansen. When Rich but, Haddam mentions a book, we write it down. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Haddam, hashtag Richard Haddam Book Club on Twitter. Yes. Yeah, Check it it's out. real. <laughs> Make it's great stocking stuffers. It's stocking stuffers. You're totally correct. But he looks at the, it's a book about the poltergeist phenomenon, but through the prism of the trickster in mythology. And he sort of comes to the conclusion that the supernatural and the paranormal does exist. And it exists for the sole purpose of not ever making sense. It exists for us to puzzle on. And it will never reveal itself. And there's this sort of like that, the, the center of the Tootsie Pop, you can lick as much as you want, but you'll never get to the actual Tootsie Pop center. Oh my God. So what you're saying is that everyone on this call has been checked. No, no, no. What he's saying is, <laughs> is that I finally, after 20 years, I've found the question. Dude, I found the question. How many licks does it take to get yeah. to the <laughs> central? I finally yeah, yeah, found the no, question. Micah, that is the question. So what you're saying is uh, the talking heads were right. Stop making sense. Stop making sense. In a way, don't we need that? What is it about us as human beings? And of course, everyone's different. There are some human beings like Shermer and other uh, debunkers whose personalities are such that they, they need things to make sense and they... They like it when things make sense. It, it's almost the difference between someone who wants a clean, organized office and someone who likes a messy office. And who is to say who is more productive? But the fact of the matter is, I think the people gathered around the fireplace right now and 
not these other suckers over there by the piano who just want to sing Cole Porter songs. What are they doing, really? <laughs> Seriously, they're not even singing at this point. I, <laughs> they get dude, no kick you, out you of champagne. You serve them I drinks. I don't you tell me. I know, right? Yeah, my fault. Yeah, I, I won't tell you what I fed them, by the way. Yeah, but, you know, but I mean, we're the we're the ones who our sweet spot is not knowing, is looking out that window at the snow and the darkness beyond, and being very comfortable and intrigued and scared but okay with the idea that maybe it doesn't all make sense. One thing that teased me off is a pet peeve is this idea among some people, well, I'm talking not fair skeptics, but serious debunkers. Oh, you paranormal oh, people. Yeah. Oh, you're, all, you're all crazy <laughs> and you don't respect science. Now, wait a minute. I have great respect for science. I have great respect for medicine. Oh, we all make jokes about Zoom, but look, <laughs> of course, we're in Scott's house looking at Zoom. Yeah, but when you look at Zoom right and people all over the country can go together, you know, years ago, something, if people were doing that during a party, that would take satellite feeds and things. And here we're doing it. We're not really doing it. We're all at Scott's house. But if we were doing it, <laughs> <laughs> if we were doing it, it would be a technological marvel that we take for granted. The fact that we're going to probably here in a couple of weeks have a vaccine for something that people didn't even know existed a year ago. I mean, God bless science, which would really get somebody's goat too. Dichotomy <laughs> there. But, but my point is, I think intellectually, I'm the kind of person who can walk and chew gum at the same time. Some people may doubt that, but I believe that I can respect science, believe in science, think that science is great, but yet realize there is this space, to Richard's point, where we don't have it all figured out, and we may never have it all figured out, and that's okay. That doesn't mean that science doesn't exist and doesn't, and isn't great. You can have both viewpoints at the same time, and I think that it's a weak intellect that can't. Well, yeah, and then, then you get to the other end of the uh, spectrum when you get Richard Gere. Uh. <laughs> so I'll tell you the Richard Gere story. Oh, I love this story. I haven't heard this in a while. <laughs> There's a Richard Gere story? There's a Richard oh, Gere story. Now yes. Tess is suddenly back by the fireplace. You've piqued her. Also, interest. we need to call our lawyers. What's it with the libel and slander <laughs> lawyers? So, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going on Tess is opening up another bat squatch. All right. <laughs> there are people on sort of the, the one far end of the spectrum who believe that science will ultimately unravel everything and everything will be brought into the realm of the materialist dominant, which is what our culture is. And I have no complaints about that because, again, as Jim was pointing out, it brings us computers and medicine and all kinds of great things. But then the question is, is that the only thing we have or, or do we live in a world where two things operate? And so having dinner with Richard Gere and about eight other people in Baltimore, in the Inner Harbor, 20 years ago, before he signed on to do the movie, but was circling it. And we're talking about this stuff. And of course, if you know anything about Richard Gere, you know that he's a very spiritual guy and he follows the Dalai Lama and that his mind is definitely open. But I didn't know all of the ins and outs of his belief. But we're talking about the script for the Mothman prophecies and what we want the movie to ultimately be. And we've all had a few glasses of wine. And we're in the middle of a noisy restaurant. Remember that? <laughs> Remember when you could be in the middle of a noisy restaurant? <laughs> mm -hmm. I'd almost forgotten. Gosh, wow. <laughs> and... And we're talking and we get to the point where it's like, well, what is the point of the Mothman prophecies? And I was sort of saying, well, the, the, the point is that 
as human beings on this plane that we are on now, as much as we might want to know the ultimate answer to everything, we simply can't. And that's when he leaned across the table at me with his finger out, pointing at me, and he said, that's where you're wrong, because I think you can. And as we all know, the answer is 42. I read, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. the galaxy. I know the answer. <laughs> if only yes. Douglas Adams was, was with us at that dinner. But he was expressing a point of view that from a spiritual place and a place of spiritual understanding and a revelation and transcendence, and you finally, finally can, in our human incarnation, understand all the secrets of the universe. And I do not believe that. I'm in the camp that says there's a mystery and it's supposed to be a mystery. No, and I, I just want to say, and I've been waiting to jump in on this for almost 45 minutes. <laughs> this is the thing that I think about when I think about, and, and Jim, you've been at it longer than I have, and or longer than we, Forrest and I have, and so have you, Micah. I, I feel like the more you look at this thing, the more it says, don't look at me or I'm not going to let you look at me. It's easy to fall back on the trickster and the paranormal, which, by the way, I have not read that book. I need to read it. But, like, the idea of it. Yes, you do. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm getting there. We just got to Siren Call. Thank you. But, like, what I'm saying is, like, you get around to this whole region of stuff. And, um, Micah, what's going on? <laughs> so, I'm going to come. I'm gonna that come was the oh, trickster yeah, knocking at the door. Oh, actually. no, he's yeah. going over to the, yeah, he's going over to the, oh. to the eggnog bowl. Actually, Scott, let me just explain. We're doing the secret Santa, and I think he forgot to pick a name, so he's, oh. hang on a second. Are you guys, are you still doing that? Okay, I'm sorry. They got the, they, yeah, they got the secret Santa. He's got to go draw his name. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, that's okay. It's okay. So, all I was going to say is, I feel like that the more that you look at it, the more it doesn't want to be looked at, which, and... This is a fallback cop-out. It's a thing that everybody is going to say that people that do what we do are, are looking at. And it's like, oh, you f it's all because you don't understand quantum physics that you say you quantum physics is what makes everything work. But there is the whole thing about the Schrodinger's cat and all of that stuff about the process of being observed. And there's something about this that feels really common about like once it gets observed, if it doesn't want to be observed or the fact of observing it changes it. It's just I can't put my finger on it, but it, like it all feels like it ties together. And literally, four or five people that were sitting here with us have left. It's yeah, it's amazing. You I have heard the whole place really, out. I've really effect upon people, you know. I kind of noticed that. <laughs> it's not you, Jim. It's me. It's me. <laughs> They're just like, oh God, Scott's making one of his speeches. <laughs> it's so waiting for Forrest. It yeah, I know. I did. Where did the last thing I saw with Forrest was? <laughs> He was, he had a glass in his hand. Yeah, uh, yeah. It had a dark brown solution in it. Yeah. He was staring into it. Yeah. And he was muttering, one day. One <laughs> day, Scott. <laughs> My bad. I knew I shouldn't have given him that. Gosh. And now, then, then well, I think he's out by your car. I don't know. It's yeah, cold outside. Is. I don't wait. Think is really do is this where the zany comedy comes in, where we have to like go on a hunt for Forrest Bird just now? Yeah, right, right now. Yes, we right do, now. Rob. No, it. it is freezing is outside. If he's not back, Does in anyone 20... know where he lives? Where he's from? <laughs> no. Who drove um, him? He's from drove that him place here? that he doesn't. Tomorrow really talk he'll about. be like in iced up in the snow, and they'll have to chisel him out. You know, kind of thing. Like that, <laughs> like that unsolved mysteries episode where that one lady like froze in the snow, and then they thought her, and she just woke up from straight from a coma. 
it was uh, that that <laughs> oh, episode of Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> like gets to me every time because the look on her face as they find her in the snow is so terrifying. <laughs> when Force comes back, are we going to say update? No, <laughs> <laughs> we got to. We, we definitely and we're got to. back. No. But the worst part of this will be that he will hear it when it airs instead of right now. <laughs> right. Speaking of which, I'm uh, you know what? I'm going to run over to the bar. Does anybody need any eggnog? I'll be back in a minute. We're going to go over here. I'll fix you one and bring it to you if you want. Okay, <laughs> Micah. I'm on my way. Scott, give me some of those those things. They're on the platter that just went by. They're the little like Why little hot dogs wrapped up want. in a thing. What? Okay, okay. Pig in the blanket. Yeah, the, the pigs in the blanket. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the dark, yeah. with the mustard, with the seeds. Thank you. Okay, you just a plate of those. Thank you. And some shrimp. Thanks. And some calamari, would you? I know. <laughs> Boy, you know what? Scott really knows how to do this. I, I, he does. There's, mm -hmm. There is an art to the Christmas party, and he... He and M have really, they've really figured it out. Well, the calamari, Micah mentioned it, usually it's really gummy, but this yeah. calamari is very crispy and just done yeah, just exactly. right, you know? Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. when it's crispy, it's delicious. Otherwise, it's just, you know, chewing gum that, it's, it, yeah, it's like chewing gum that tastes like fish like sticks. like eating a breaded rubber band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fish stick flavored <laughs> rubber band. There you go. Like a, a deep fried rubber band that you must dip into a bright orange sauce. Um, but Rich. Well, yeah. Dude, we have totally just hijacked the podcast. I mean, the uh, the party because the guys, oh my God. the guys it have worked. left the room. We got rid of them. That's welcome hey, to you know Astonishing what? Legends, everybody. No, that's kind of what I was gonna say. It's like you know, we're we're all over here. We, we, you know, and this happens every party. Does it happen for you guys too? Where it's like you go with the intention of talking to everybody, and within five minutes, you're just with your group <laughs> yeah. in one corner. Yeah, man. And, you know, and then on the ride home, Susan's going to be like, what were you doing? Oh, don't even tell me. You were just over there doing your ghost thing. And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, I was. But but and, and in that way, I feel like like a sports fan, like because I'm part of a subculture that talks about a certain thing sure. to a crazy detail. But do you guys find that with your wives and partners and boyfriends and girlfriends and stuff that it's like. They're sort of like, yeah, you go have fun. You go talk about that stuff. I'm going to go be over here just talking about real things. Like, do, do you, is there like a hold or, or are they really into it? Just go be weird in the corner, you know? Go be weird in the corner. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, my wife's actually into a lot of it. She's not much of a UFO person or maybe a cryptid person, but certainly ghosts, afterlife, all that stuff. She had a vision of Mary after her mother's death. Wow. Wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, slow down, hit the brakes. Yeah, what? you want me tell to, me, you want, me. okay, okay, all right. Well, I'll tell you a story. Uh, imagine that. Okay, so here's what, here's what happened. This was back uh, right before 9-11. My mother-in-law was very ill. In fact, uh, she was dying. And she came home to do at-home hospice. But the thing was is that we thought we were talking about weeks. And she had been home, I think, a day or two. And that particular evening, uh, at that point, we'd been married for, what, uh, five years. Uh, we had our little girl at that point who was uh, about to turn two. And uh, my wife was over at her parents' house was staying with their mom in the, you know, in the evening. And uh, her mom's like, go home, go home. You need to be home. You've got the small child. you got your husband. Go home, go home. And she's like, no, I want to stay with you longer. I want to stay a little longer this evening. And she's like, no, go home. It was almost like she was pushing her away. So anyway, she calls over there about 10 o'clock at night. Everything seems okay. Go to bed. Two o'clock in the morning. We're both in bed. And this is before podcasting for me, before it existed. 
So it wasn't tied to any of that. So anyway, she wakes up and she looks over at my shoulder and I sleep like the dead. I mean, when I'm out, I'm out. She looks over my shoulder and she says what she describes as Mary, a vision of Mary, full body, Mary, Mother Mary. And the family's Catholic, as I mentioned before. She said it was unlike anything you ever have seen in your life. And then as soon as she's there, she goes away. And she falls back asleep. But she says, I was awake when this happened. I was absolutely awake. About 2.30, the phone rang. And it's my father-in-law. She answers the phone. And says, Dad, what's going on? And he said, she's gone. And she says, who's gone? What are you talking about? Your mom, she just passed about a half hour ago. Uh, right when she saw Mary. And the thing was, is that Mary was a very big deal for my mother-in-law. Uh, as a devout Catholic, she followed her very closely. She brought roses to her uh, and did all these different things. Mary was her jam, as it were, her spiritual jam. So, you know, my wife says 100% she saw a vision of Mary right when her mom died. And, I, and, and she told me that that day, I mean, right after it happened. So it wasn't something she told me 10 years later. Yeah. She told me that day. So I believe her 100% because, you know, she's a pretty rational person and can't be, well, got to be somewhat intelligent. She married me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about you know, before 9-11, so it's 2000, 2001. It's not a thousand years ago. No. You know, I don't know what church, you know, you guys attend, if you attend any church or if she does or what her beliefs are, but I would be surprised if visions of the Virgin Mary were considered common or expected or something that was talked about. I don't think that's a big part of the Catholic experience in the modern world. Yeah, I don't think it happens every day by by no means. Mm, no. I, I don't yeah, I don't think it's expected or people are like, oh well it'll it happens to everyone at one point. It'll happen to you too. So the fact that this happened, I bet Catholic or not, I bet was kind of a shock to her. I bet in, in retrospect she was like, you know, I hear about haunted houses and UFOs. I never thought I'd see the Virgin Mary. Yeah, it wasn't something that, like, it was on the menu. I mean, she's Catholic. She's uh, prior, <laughs> we call a, well, I'm, I'm not a Catholic. I just play one on television when I go to church with them. But um, they call it a CEOs, uh, Christmas, Easter, and uh, what's the other one? Oh, I can't think of what the O is, the other one. What's the O? I don't We used to call them cafeteria Catholics. Yeah, no, uh, it's CEO Christmas, Easter, and something else I'm forgetting. That's, at this point, the uh, extent of our church attendance. But uh, that blew her away. But she's very much into it. My kids totally think I'm nuts. And yep. uh, they're like, yeah, Dad, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. that's nice. <laughs> Dad's doing another one of his podcasts. He's that's in what there. I get. Well, my kids go to, it's funny because my kids go to, we're the poor people at our school. So the, the, the school that my daughters both went to high school is a private school and uh, way too expensive. Very good school. Doctors, lawyers, pillars of the community, and then the kids of the guy who sits here and talks about Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I just looked it up, Jim. Uh, CEO is Christmas Easter only. Yes, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. would have thought of only. I haven't celebrated only in been a long time. <laughs> is that probably like since I was seven? No, it's only one more. Yes, I was going to ask you. Could I try one of those, please? If you don't mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go. Pass it around. Pass it around. Thanks, I want to taste it too. Bat squash. It too. Yeah. It sounds like it's something that should taste like bat poop, but uh, 
Oh, wait, let me hold on. For the record, me... I just want to say for the record, that is not technically a sponsor. We're just talking. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens to be a fine beer. Oh, if they would like to sponsor like us, stop, stop. please Ooh. send it my way. I've already had Miller High Life. Oh, it's good. That's oh, the that's champagne that's really of beers. Good. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty yeah. yummy. Micah, did you like that? That was pretty good. The champagne or the bat squash? Which one? The bat squash. <laughs> I haven't had the champagne. Oh, where's the well, champagne? Oh, wow. The champagne of Miller beers. High Miller High Life. Yeah. We couldn't yeah. afford the real champagne tonight, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> this is something Rich will appreciate. You noticed them, John Klein. And because you noticed them, they noticed you. Or was it the other way around? They noticed him first, and then he noticed They noticed them. you noticing them. They, I, I never get it right. Yeah, either. it's like a They mirror. noticed that you noticed. Uh, they they noticed. saw you. When you went to the bus stop, they noticed. <laughs> when you noticed them, they noticed, <laughs> they noticed you. you noticed noticing them. Everybody. Yeah, but that's my favorite part of that whole film. And, and it kind of bespeaks some of the stuff we're talking about here tonight in the context of almost like that Nietzsche quote, you know, that when you, when you look into the abyss – Right. And it, looking mm-hmm. back at you, a lot of people describe the unexplained sort of like that, really. And that yeah. John Keel yeah. was really in that kind of liminal area where, OK, you know, he might have come into it kind of as a skeptic. He travels throughout the Orient, has chronicled in that wonderful book, Jadu, comes back having had a near close encounter with a Yeti in Nepal. And then he's like, oh, you know. Maybe there's a little more to all this stuff than I thought. And it's like at that point, it's like his gateway drug. Oh, wow. Now I'm interested in all this stuff. And the moment it all seems to come together for him is where he meets that Swami someplace. Or I don't know, it might just, you know, a seer was actually a blind man, if memory serves. He goes up to meet this guy. There's no way the guy could have possibly known that Keel was coming. But when he gets there, he says, ah, Shri Keel, sit down, you know invites him to have a seat and everything. And so they have this conversation, this very metaphysical conversation, where it kind of culminates in the mystic saying to John Keel, Ah, Shri Keel, half the world is blinded by skepticism. And he comes back from that whole experience thinking, God, man, maybe this world is stranger. And where is he? And Rob, you'll appreciate this. You know, where is he what, maybe a decade and a half later? He's sitting in West Virginia watching amorphous globs of light hovering over you know, West Virginia. And in his journals, you know, Doug Skinner has done a fantastic job uploading those. uh, Isn't that a great website? I love johnkeel.com. Again, God bless those guys. It is incredible. I mean, again, ladies and gents at home, if you're not familiar with this, because we obviously all just geek out over this kind of stuff, you know, Keel's actual original files uploaded onto this website, you know, in PDF format and the like, so that you can read, you know, you can see his business cards, his personal notes, newsletters that he sent out over the years, publications, all kinds of stuff, rare, you know, uh, autographed copies of things, you know, that he'd signed or that had, he'd had signed. And then there are those handwritten notepads, you know, where he's sitting there, he says, one o'clock in the morning, purple light shows up again. Damn it, I'm scared. It's so great, but he... But he was in real time reporting what he was experiencing. And, <laughs> yeah. and when I wrote, and I was so into it and like, so like, oh my God, I'm going to write this thing. And so fascinated with John Keel. And when I wrote it, I'm like, oh my God, maybe I'll meet him. And then I did meet him. And my dream was that somehow we were going to like become best friends. And I, you know, I was going to get to go to his apartment in New York and like look at all of his stuff and drink and like. And, and like, like I, I figured, he, I figured he would have like the tapes of yeah. his conversations with Mr. Apol and Indrid Cold, and I didn't know that even he, at the moment he was making those tapes, when he played them back, it was just static. He had heard a voice, but later when he played it, he only heard his voice, 
And on the other end of the phone, just static. Oh, that's like the Sally house for me. How have you not told us that before now? <laughs> yes, Tess, tell uh, tell everybody what the ghost, uh, people that don't remember, what the voice you heard in your ear was at the Sally house. Yeah, when, when we were at the Sally house, I mean, if you listen to this podcast all the time or interact with me on social media, sorry, it's this again. Or my parents, who I did call in the middle of the night and they're like, stop watching the scary movies. And I was like, it's not a scary movie. It happened to me. <laughs> Basically, you know, we were just in the house. I was born in 94. So to me, it looked like any suburban house that I grew up visiting. It looked like, like one of my aunt's houses. There was absolutely nothing special, scary or notable about it for an hour. Um, and, then, and, <laughs> and then when we were kind of messing about and starting to do the EVPs for real, and we really, you know, took the time to kind of set up something more serious and kind of, you know, give the house its chance to speak, I felt a voice inside my head and something move my hair. But Scott and Forrest, who were in the room, and Megan, saw me i think go pale but heard nothing by the way shout out to our friend megan winning who was with us on the yes trip. what it gets back to is is the experiencer this is a subjective experience it just is and i'm sorry you mm-hmm. know you I, I have nothing but great respect for jb ryan and uh louisa ryan but there is something about the phenomenon that resists being proven it just yeah. does the the effect of any laboratory test exists, but the signal above the noise is so small. Yeah. And the the notion that this phenomenon is gonna submit itself to scrutiny and is gonna get pinned down like a moth, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in, in in a in a chemist's lab, I think is not the way. I think this is individual people one by one by one have an experience or find an interest and that's it. Yeah, and I think that's why Forrest for for you know for his part was more unaffected than Scott and I because I was like, you know, messing with the stuffed animals. I was like throwing things around the room. I didn't think we'd go back up there. I was just trying to scare the next people. And Scott, you know, he was kind of like not necessarily believing anything, but Forrest went in and he was very respectful and nothing happened to him. So look at that. Yeah, it clearly felt like me being incredulous triggered it in a way or whatever it's and it tested but that's the other thing testo it wasn't just auditory for you you also physically felt your hair move right yeah i felt again i grew up going catholic school too so you know lots of girls whispering going hey hey do you want to switch fourth period Do you want to do this so to me i've always associated whispering with hair being moved out of my ear and that's what i felt so even though i felt no air right no voice no breath and even though i technically i guess didn't hear a voice because it was in my own head and no one else heard it it's almost like it was signaling that i should be listening for a a whisper in your life prior to that what had ever happened to you like that um nothing i had i was a bad college kid sorry mom uh i did lots of urban exploring in dc i've been to the exorcist stairs about a thousand times (laughs) (laughs) oh that's awesome nothing's ever happened i've been to there's lots of actually tuberculosis um abandoned hospitals a couple asylums um in the outskirts around like maryland so all my friends with cars we'd go there with no protective equipment guys don't you can't go to henryton anymore 
they knocked it down. So if anyone is young and wants to urbex, too bad, they're gone. Um, but I went to um, an abandoned tuberculosis uh, that later became um, an insane asylum. And I felt I was making fun again. <laughs> and I was Why like, did this you do is- that? That's when the devils come. I was 19. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know, we were on the um, treatment wing. Obviously, there's no lights. Everything's. I have pictures too on Facebook that I can post. Um, I was looking down this hallway where like all the windows are smashed, so you can still see lights. There's all the doors are off the hinges. You know, classic, creepy, scary movie kind of stuff. But it wasn't scary because nothing had happened, and we'd been there for three hours, and we had to walk across a river to get there. So we were all freezing, and I was like why is there one pink room? Like who would be in the stupid pink room? Like that must be the bad room or something equally teasing. And then all of a sudden that door, I guess had a door on its hinges still the door slammed. It was the loudest noise that day. Uh, I felt a cold rush of air and then I ran all the way down the dilapidated stairs. And I'm very, very lucky that I did not go through the floor. (laughs) that's it that's the only thing but i probably went to 35 abandoned insane asylums sanatoriums um in philadelphia uh, on the outskirts of dc and dc so it's not like it happened every time yeah there's a there's a um a hospital slash insane asylum in vancouver british columbia that uh shut down years and years ago that gets used pretty much every single day by uh, film companies. So literally anything you've ever seen on the CW, part of it, especially like Supernatural, they have filmed up at Riverdale so many times. I mean, it's just like you can't get in there. Sometimes you, crews will run into each other. It's like, oh, wait, where are you guys? Oh, we're in the basement. Okay, we're on the third floor. All right, great. <laughs> but it's just, and people build sets on it because it's this enormous complex, but it is notoriously haunted. Every crew in Vancouver has a story. Certainly any electrician who has to go into the basement to tie into the uh, electric tells stories. And I mean, you could write a book about Hollywood filming and the locations that they film at. In fact, when we we were doing um, Lost Room in New Mexico, of all places, in Santa Fe, there was a hospital right right off the plaza in, in Santa Fe. This is back in 2006, so it had not been turned into the Drury Suites, which now it's a hotel, which I would never stay at. But anyway, abandoned hospital, notoriously haunted. It's in books that I've read, and we're shooting there. There are crew guys who come up from the basement, and they're like, I ain't going back down there. What's going on? (laughs) And pretty soon, everyone knew. It's like, oh, they're down there in the dark, tying into the electrical and they can hear children laughing. Ooh. Mm. No, thank yeah. you. We, Pass. we were shooting there all night. Mm, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Pass. You're in oh, for the I, long haul. You better just ease in and enjoy it. Come down here, Georgia. We will all float up down here. Yeah, <laughs> so I actually have a Christmas experience it happened to me when I was a kid. I've had, I've had a lot of experiences my entire life. And, um, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Desdemona, actually uh, create artwork inspired by. Yes. This is um, a UFO I saw while I was Ooh. at work one day. And uh, probably the creepier thing is the um, uh, Forrest will love this. He, uh, 
I saw this uh, while I was walking to work one day. I <laughs> still don't know what it is. It's a uh, very weird-looking reptilian kind of creature. But uh, the earliest experience that I ever had, I was probably six or seven years old, and it was Christmas Eve. I had gone to bed at, like, 9 o'clock that night, and uh, I woke up at about 10.30, and I had to go to the bathroom. So got out of bed. The way to the bathroom, we would I would pass by the landing for our apartment. You would uh, go down, and it turned to the right. And I could see that our door was um, partially open. It was actually closing real slowly. I knew that our downstairs neighbor would close it from time to time because it didn't close that well. It didn't stay closed very well. So uh, I figured that's what it was. It was just closing ever so slowly. So I went to the bathroom and uh, got back in bed. And about 10 minutes after I got in bed, I saw this little figure standing at my bedroom door. And honest to God, it looked like a lawn gnome. It was just standing in my doorway. It walked in front of my bed, and I passed out. I don't know what happened after that, but I just... It was one of those weird experiences that... Uh, I don't know, I wasn't frightened, which in in any experience that I've ever had, I've never been totally frightened of what I've seen. Yeah, the uh, lizard-looking dude, I, I was kind of concerned uh, just because it's a lizard-looking dude and he's standing there <laughs> staring at me. And uh, I don't know what he wants. mysterious. Yeah, and I don't know what he wants to do. But um, for whatever reason, I was not scared. I don't know why, but uh, don't remember anything, just passed out. You know, I want to give you a little validation on not that I have to, but just I've heard a similar story. I had somebody on the campfire who once said that when he was a kid, he would regularly see what he would describe as a leprechaun. Now, again, you know, if somebody walks up to you in the street and says, oh, I saw a leprechaun, you may think, eh, yeah, 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 right. Well, the interesting thing about this guy, and I didn't discount him in any way, was he said years later, maybe 20, 30 years later, this happened in the late 60s. Uh, he said he was talking to his brother, and for the first time ever, he told his brother what he saw. And his brother said, oh, you used to see him too, huh? So, I mean, oh my God. and the thing is, <laughs> is that maybe it wasn't a leprechaun per se. It kind of reminds me, you talked about Mike Cleland earlier and the whole idea mm -hmm. of screen memories and things. But maybe it he saw something Maybe he did see somebody who had a shillelagh. I don't know. But <laughs> but maybe he saw something that his brain interpreted, the closest thing that he could interpret to a leprechaun or maybe whatever it was, was projecting that, knowing that it was a kind of popular archetype. Who knows? But I believe that guy saw something just like I believe so you saw something. Well, there are stories about people, and this I did not know of, but there are stories of people who have seen Santa Claus and, and not just kids. And it's typically on Christmas Eve or pretty close to it. And that's a real head scratcher because it's like, okay, Santa Claus, you know, is a spirit that comes and gives us presents at Christmas. But we don't really expect to see it happen and yet on that night, on Christmas Eve, there are people, again, often children, sometimes adults, who don't expect to see Santa Claus, and they see something that looks like what we think of as Santa Claus. Tulpa. Thought form. Tulpa. 
Yeah, and I and I I read a um I've read a little bit about this too just recently and you know because I knew I was going to be seeing you guys tonight at this party. But I was just going to say <laughs> <laughs> there's something about that like the idea, I mean aside from the tulpa and the thing that's been created, there's that and there's also this component of which I see more and more, I feel like, the more we do our show, and, and Jim, we're way behind you, and, and you too, Micah, but just like, the more it seems like it shows you what you want to see. And that it doesn't necessarily match the intention of what you want to see, but visually, and to a certain extent, in an interactive standpoint, yeah, because some of those stories, Rich, that you brought up about these, you know, you read these and... uh Brent Swanser has a great post on uh, Mysterious Universe about this. Right. Yeah, that's uh, a good yeah. one. That, that one yeah, has like, like a dozen of them. And I'm like, what? Yeah. We'll have a link to that. But like, by the way, he wasn't all that warm and loving. It was just kind of like, go back to bed, kid. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening? Kid, all here? right. I'm going to put it to you like this. I got a really long night. You go back to bed. I'm going to eat these cookies and I'm going to vamoose. Okay. I got you. I got the reindeer. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's like yeah. people always go, well, you saw, oh, you saw, you know, oh, it was your dad. You know, yeah. but it's like, what dad is dressing up like Santa Claus in the Okay, of the I would night? do that. I'm just going to say, I would do that. But so, I think sometimes <laughs> so it is. So every the dad. single one that has ever seen it, it's been Scott Philbrook. It's okay. Been it's been me. We've yes. cracked this one. <laughs> Around the we world. figured it out. I have a magic sleigh. I do that, uh, yeah, not just in my house, but everybody's house. Now there are uh, warrants yeah. out for your arrest. That's how uh, we got us all here in his house, magically from across the country. And we're all his little elves. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so Rob, you saw this, like, okay, I'm going to say elf because you said no, but like, okay, did did you feel, did it feel scary, sinister, happy? Was it smiling? Did it leave anything for you? I felt kind of happy. That's the only thing I can kind of say. I felt kind of happy. Good. That's don't know good. why. I don't know why, and I don't even want to ponder on it, Rich. We're not going to go further into to. that well, right now. That's the thing that bugs me, because the people who see Santa Claus, most it, nothing gets left behind. That's I, I don't know. Maybe I'm still five years old, but it's like, if you see Santa Claus, then I want something to be left behind. A present, a thing, like just a, a part of a cookie, just something that says, yes, it definitely was Santa Claus. That's fair. Why? <laughs> I mean, that would be helpful, right? Mm -hmm. It would help us all kind of determine that it was indeed the Santa of the Claus, right? And not his uh, wicked alter ego. What is it, a Krampus? <laughs> right. Krampus, yeah. Krampus is more like a cryptid kind of, sort of, but not, you know. He comes to punish the children, you know. Hi, I'm Sarah Miller from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and when I'm not listening to Astonishing Legends, I'm thinking about listening to Astonishing Legends, and so should you. Now back to the show. Let me toss this out. Tell me if, if any of you shared this tradition. When I was in grade school, in school, we would write a letter to Santa Claus, okay? Mm -hmm. And that year, it's the only letter I wrote. I did not write a letter to anyone else, didn't mail a letter. That was the one letter. And on Christmas Eve, I realized that I had never mailed it, and I got really freaked out. I was pretty young. And my I was the youngest of the six cousins that would gather at my house on Christmas Eve. So my older cousin, Gail, said, oh, don't worry. It's okay, Richie. You didn't mail your letter to Santa Claus. But I'm like, no, it's a big problem because I'm not going to get presents. She's like, no, no, it's okay. What you do is... 
just put the list that you wrote, the letter that you wrote, just put it in your stocking. And when he comes, he'll see it and he'll just take care of yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, really? Like that, like that's even more miraculous than the most miraculous thing I'd ever heard. But it, it comforted me so much that my older cousin had the solution. And so without saying a word to anybody late that night before going to bed, I jammed the letter all the way down into the stocking and went to sleep. And of course, the next morning, everything was there. I got everything on the list. So man, you don't tell me there's no Santa Claus. I thought that was going to be a plug for miracles. You know, I, I thought it, I thought it was going to be available a plug for on it. Amazon and Amazon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, I was going to say, Rich, uh, um, I was going to say Rob earlier, you brought up Occam's razor. Wow. And it's something and that we've Scott's been... wasted. Scott, seriously. I, I know what. And then the stuff about the things. I was in that eggnog. Too much calamari. Too much calamari. Way too much. Wait, he's drunk on calamari? <laughs> well, no, it was, it was what I served him a few minutes ago when he got up and left for a minute. You guys know, yeah. Mm. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. He's Thank squid you. drunk. He's yep. squid yes. drunk. Tess nailed yep. it, yeah. Was it absinthe or was he drinking absinthe? Yeah, it was like pure oh. absinthe with a shot of just pure cinnamon dust and then like some more <laughs> milk. It was a weird. He, he I came went up out. with it. This is the only time of year people seriously drink Goldschlager. Yeah, right. <laughs> up with that, right? I hear Santa loves it though, actually. Yeah. And the Leave a little out for Santa. Yeah. yeah. Way <laughs> to roast my college drink of choice. Ouch. <laughs> How did I know Tess, that? You're drinking those this? old school drinks. Like I remember Tess a long time ago. You were like, I like the slow gin fizz. I was like, wait, that's a that was a joke drink in a Paul Giamatti I wanted movie. boys to think I was cool. It did not work. <laughs> I just want to be like Don Draper with the cool uh cocktail cart. That to me is <laughs> yeah. the ultimate and cool. Well, Jim, Jim, just come right on over here, buddy, and uh, we'll get you all set up. <laughs> I I have my home office. I I ought to just set up a little drink cart there, even if I never use it, just to have it as a prop. Okay, first, yes, of course, <laughs> of course, no question. Second, Tess, did you ever go through the root beer schnapps phase? Oh, here it is. Oh, she's reaching. One second, one second. <laughs> okay. Yeah, unmute. You gotta stop muting, Tess. No more muting. Richard, you really are psychic. Okay, here's a tiny root beer that I was drinking at the beginning of this call. Synchronicity. It was, it was mixed the- with rum chata shots. Oh. That I- Wait, oh that's God. in like a, that's like in a It's in like a creamer, creamer cup. thing. What's yeah, happening? It's like a Keurig. Castle, oh what God. is going on? How old are you again? DC is 26. Crazy. My dad <laughs> sent me like a mug of rum chata and it was just like little rum chata shots like this. <laughs> okay, well, look, all right. <laughs> you know what? God bless you. You're doing fine. <laughs> no, we're trying. It's a pandemic. Look, I'm trying to get better drinks again for Christmas. Mom and dad, if you're listening, I asked for a Margaritaville mixer, and I was not kidding. Okay, I'm going to help you out here, okay? Yes, get some Margaritaville and whatever you asked for, that's fine. But you can also just very simply just some tequila, some triple sec or Cointreau, some lime juice, delicious margarita. That's three ingredients. That's all you need. Mix them in whatever degree you want. And if you want to sweeten it up a little... You again nowadays you can go to any supermarket practically and just get some agave nectar, which is like a little syrup in the booze section, 
add a little of that to sweeten it up and you're fine. He's right. You know, I'm the bartender and I'm telling you that guy knows, hey, would you come over here and make me a margarita right now? <laughs> Micah, you and I are going to go out and party. Hey, Dude, New Year. Yeah. all right, man. We can't actually do that. There's the thing, but we could do it at Scott's place. Is that cool? Scott, yeah, Scott's that's totally place fine. is a magical place where we can always <laughs> gather and sit by the fire yep. and drink and uh, share our stories. Well, we that, sit that by Jim's fire spot. at Scott's place. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, I want to know how you do that. I, everything technical I learned from you. There you go. It's magic. It's Christmas magic. Welcome hey. to Astonishing Legends, the mixed drink episode. It's all my mm. trash al- alcohol takes. But you know what? Trash alcohol is fun. Margaritas no. are fun if they're nice, but they're more fun if they come in a machine with a parrot on it. Yeah, you, know, you got a point, Tess. You, you, you got a point right there. You do. You know, you know what? I, I mean, cannot argue with that. I guess I'm just in the mood for these colder weather drinks, you know, like a hot toddy or like a, you know. Ooh. I love a good hot toddy. Yeah, well, what's in know. a hot toddy? How do you make that? So like, well, I guess a traditional way you would make it or you could do it with anything. But I mean, like you would take a, like a, you know, a bourbon. I would take a bourbon. Right. And um, what else goes in a hot toddy? Oh, gosh. Like honey and, and hot water. Right. And you. Yeah. yeah. So it's, so it's a warm drink. Too. And the whole the whole idea is that. Yeah. Lemon. It, as a singer, you know, when I would go play a gig in the cold weather and everything, if you're having a little throat trouble, they'd be like, oh, hot toddy and everything. And that'll kind of help, you know, clear everything out with your throat and everything. And it did work. A warm, warm <laughs> cocktail. Yeah. Right. But, but if you drank too many, nice. you forgot the lyrics. Then you forget the lyrics, yeah. And if the yeah. drummer drinks too much, well, you know exactly what happens, right? The beat, you know? Yeah. Well, the drummer was a rummer. Hey, <laughs> Micah, are we gonna are we gonna get to hear a song? Well, I don't know. I, you know, it just so happens. Look right here behind me. Oh, I would love to hear a song, Micah. I, if I you do can have... take a break from the bar. Well, I guess I could. You know, I mean, I think I think our we, the weird people over there that by the other fire, you know, they've kind of calmed down. So now. Yeah, this is just for us, not for the the piano people. Can do their own thing. They're they're doing the chestnuts uh, roasting on the open fire. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. Well, that's a good one, but uh, I don't know if it's BMI ASCAP. You know, we got to be very careful with that stuff. So, um, I thought I would get d- medieval on everybody tonight because you know, if you really want to be able to make sure that uh, you have a a you know, safe podcast, safe song to play, just go medieval, and then you know it's public domain, right? So, yeah, that's what we're gonna do tonight. Now, an old favorite of mine. I've got a there's a process or an order of operations, you might say, and that requires putting on the headphones so I can make sure I can control all the audio elements here. But that's really weird because we're just sitting here by a fireplace. But hey, you know what, man? You it's do just me. Thing. It's just me. Micah's yeah. going to get medieval You brought this whole ass. rig. No. It's, it's yeah. really crazy. I brought this whole rig. You're going to see all this stuff. You may, we're going to try this. You may hear echo now. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Do you bring that oh, everywhere yeah. you go, Micah? Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Not everywhere I go. Where's one for? Oh. Don't do that. <laughs> copyright don't strike. Copyright strike. So anyway, so we put that on, and then we're going to try this, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to be quite the experiment, and after slinging drinks all night, it's going to be all the more interesting. So now over here to my right, your left, listeners or viewers at, um, on the other side of the room, we've got another microphone set up, which is a condenser microphone, which will be perfect for capturing the sound of this Wonderful Martin D28 LSV. All right. That thing looks kind of worn, Micah. It's well worn, my friend. I have traveled all throughout the Southeast and other places too, loving this guitar, i.e., beating the hell out of it. So <laughs> now we have to, we have to open it. This is where things get interesting because we got to try and make sure that we can 
pick everything up. We're going to go live with the microphone now. West of the Rockies, call my house. East of the Rockies, <laughs> you might also try calling from a phone. Wildcard line, you know, there's a wonderful little bar in a place called Turlock, and they serve apple pie. That will, like cherry pie in Twin Peaks, literally kill you. And now, from somewhere out there, this is Fart Smell. <laughs> Or the Van Halen chord. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so, <laughs> so we're going to go medieval and we're going to try a little grain sleeves or what child is this, right? Yeah. But this is going to be a stylized jazz rendition. Okay, I'm not even going to sing it, I'm just going to play it. So I'm going to shut up and pick. somewhere <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Very nice. Almost. I mean, I tried to put the 
tried to put that arrangement together to like this morning. Oh wow, is there an echo in here? Yeah, I love it though. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. That was so great. <laughs> but a little babe, I'm gonna leave you in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was nice. Yeah, it was nice. I thought um, you were gonna break into classical gas any minute. <laughs> 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 baby, baby, baby. Baby, baby, I'm going to leave you. That was awesome. That was great. That was great. Thank you you for giving me that pick back. I was afraid you were going to keep that, man, but it's a very important pick. So it fell on the nog. So just keep that. (laughs) It fell on the nog. (laughs) Yeah. Forrest, oh, thank God you're back. Where did you go? Were you outside? I've been taking a nap. Yeah, we forgot to let him back in, guys. <laughs> that's good. The, 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 the booze and the cold, that's the, you can't mix those. You got you to no. be careful. Stalling like out. The, the St. Bernard in the Looney Tunes where he had the little barrel and he says, made himself <laughs> mm. a drink. <laughs> <laughs> that dog is the best. That's it. That, that's, you know, I thought about Looney Tunes earlier because you said Rich was wearing a lampshade and I didn't want to bring it up. But like one of my favorite jokes ever is when Bugs Bunny is hiding and he puts the lampshade on and the. Somebody comes up trying to find him and pulls the cord, and he just goes, click. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. These are great jokes. Right? Great stuff. Fantastic. Anybody want to hear a good uh, Christmas message from a ghost? Yeah, sure. Why not? This will be parental discretion advised. There may be a, uh, not to give it away, because Scott hates that, but it's, uh, I'll let you decide what's being said, but I kind of think, at least one word is not very nice, but but it kind of sums up a Christmas message from the other side, or just a message in general. And now this was taken at the Talbot Inn in uh, Bardstown, Kentucky. Wait, wait. Are you going to play something I haven't heard yet, an EVP I haven't heard? No, I've, I've played you everything. You just go, I think that's CG. I think that, uh, yeah. No, it's no, just, no, I don't. It's CG. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, <laughs> it's all right. It's CG. No. He, Unless it's happened to him. It's like, forced, forced. A, a broom fell over the kitchen. A broom just, I I didn't touch it at all. It just fell over. It's like, yeah, okay, I know what it's like now when you guys come up here and do the Brown Mountain thing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I know exactly what to expect. I know. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like that's, you know, I think all of us should go do the Brown Mountain Lights. I think we yeah, should Yeah, why don't do we that. all just do that? Yeah. That right? might yeah. be a fun, if they don't show be a fun up, get it's, together. it's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but, but you're invited. You're all invited. Just, yeah, that's the important thing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, but no, I completely agree. I want to do it. I want to. Well, I'll go it. to Hell Your Cave and just camp there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just. There, is there room service? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, we bring it with us, but I mean, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> goblins, ancient goblins. Yeah. Well, here we go. Well, this is uh, from the old Talbot Tavern. It's also known as the old Stone Tavern. I'm just kind of reading off the uh, wiki entry here. But it's a historic place built in 1779 in Bardstown, Kentucky. Also the home of bourbon, which is why I like it a lot. Uh, It's actually a a settlement before uh, Salem. So it's the oldest Western stagecoach stop and still in operation. And uh, it's had some very notable guests, of course. Daniel Boone, George Rogers Clark, a famous general, Andrew Jackson, William Henry Harrison, Abraham Lincoln stayed there, as well as Stephen Foster. I'm sure Michael will know who that is, a famous um, musical writer. And, of course, James Audubon and Jesse James. And uh, apparently the lore is Jesse got drunk one night and shot up his room thinking there were butterflies flying around. It was probably a lot of, a lot of good bourbon, though. So... Uh, Those were stars, was, Jesse. You were seeing stars. <laughs> it yeah. could have been stars. It could have just, just been, I'm, I'm drunk and I have a gun. 
Yeah, you don't need uh, an excuse if you're drunk you and you got a gun. <laughs> you don't need a you don't need an excuse. So it's had a long and history uh, storied past, and we were staying in one of the rooms that is not too far from the uh, Jesse James room, which you you can go visit during the day, but no one could stay in there. There was a fire in that room, and the the walls are now protected with plexiglass, but you can still see the bullet holes. So uh, I was there on my uh, uh, Midwest adventure to second uh, being uh, the number two with Ghost Hunters and good friends Jill and Roger Pingleton. And uh, this was Jill's room, and we decided to do a little ghost hunting there. So I got out the the infamous DR60, the Panasonic RR DR60 digital nice. recorder, of which uh, that's the foundation of Scott's newly found belief system. And uh, I have to say, there's a lot more that I've gotten with this. I've kind of hinted at that in other episodes, but we, we really need to analyze it before I would air it on the show because it's going to cause some stir, some consternation, some belief, some disbelief. People are going to freak out, I think. So this is, though, one of the, the best EVP. I think it's probably the best, clearest EVP I've ever gotten with this thing. My God, you're gonna seriously though? You're gonna play an EVP right now? Unless you don't think it's Christmassy. I, uh, <laughs> it's you don't, totally please Christmassy. Please please right. Christmas is like this perfect Christmas thing to do by the fireplace. Well, in lieu of that, folks. Well, no, Rich wanted me to tell the the Los Feliz murder house story, which uh, <laughs> he was somehow very very excited about. Uh, but it's a really horrific uh, family murder story. I don't know. I just. Didn't, oh, we uh, live right nearby it, but I want to hear blood this. Blood is red. That's this a Christmas crazy. color. <laughs> That's right. No. I'll just I'll just say about <laughs> I'll just, just say joking. about that story. Uh, after the family, of course, was gone after that horrific night for maybe decades. This happened uh, December sixth. This is the, uh, the the house in Los Feliz, California, uh, not too far from me. Presents were still wrapped and left on the table which, uh, according to the lore of the house, sat there for years and years and years, and nobody ever opened them. And I just, that's my Christmas wish. Like, I, I want to know what's in those those packages. I want to go open the Christmas gifts belonging to the dead people. <laughs> I just want to see what Christmas gifts were like. So the, here's the thing about that house, yeah. though. It's not far from you. Right. There was a murder in it, and then yes. nothing happened and also, nobody went in there, and the presents were wrapped for years. The, What's the story with that place? I'm not going to get into it now, but that was okay. 1959. And so, of course, the house was shuttered. Eventually, it was purchased, but the owners, this older couple who, who purchased, the uh, middle-aged couple at the time, purchased it, generally just used it as storage. They gave the house to their son. He also just used it as storage. Never did anything with it. People were complaining. Of course, it's haunted. It was rumored to be haunted before the Perelson uh, family had moved in, that's Harold uh, Perelson, Dr. Harold Perelson. Uh, so it was rumored to be haunted before that and certainly much long after that. But we're not talking about that tonight. Okay. I'm going to play you this, uh, this EVP, though. This was captured again. This was on my second Midwest ghost hunting tour, and this was taken in Jill's room. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to move the, the windscreen here. I'm going to play this. Uh, and folks who don't know, I could have laid the audio off uh, to a Pro Tools recording digitally, but it only comes out of the earplug, uh, the the 2.5-millimeter yeah, old... We had a special cable built for that. Yeah. Huh. By an engineer. So, yeah. <laughs> like, so this is not still, that. Yeah I, yeah, I haven't had time, but uh, <laughs> really, I'm just going to turn it up, and I'm going to just play the uh, audio into the microphone, and 
I'm going to play the whole message first, and then I'm going to go back, play it again, and just highlight and repeat the part where I think there's a message. So listen carefully. Mr. Jesse James here, or any of his cohorts, or any other spirits here in the room with us, lost to communicate. Try and speak clearly and directly and softly into this blinking red light here. Okay, I'll play the part where I think there's a message. So what happens is, like okay. I said, I, I start at the recording. I wait for, you know, there's like a few seconds pause where uh, I'm kind of thinking about what to ask. Uh, who you hear back there is Roger Pingleton. So he also, oh, Roger. That's, that's Roger just, Pingleton. yeah, that's just his voice. And then maybe Jill has spoken up later on, but they're the really the only louder voices you hear. So here it is again. So we'll hear it like right after you say, like, look at the red light. Listen as soon as the record as soon as the playback starts. Okay. Right there, the part you play. I heard I heard the word house. Is yeah, that the my house. Hold hold on. Okay, so that's that's it yeah, played. Yeah, and, and it's really hard. I know it's really hard for uh, this to come over the mic and for you to hear it. Clearly. No, we're gonna hook that cable up and capture yeah. it and all that. So but, you uh, still for well, you've heard it a few times. What do you? What do you? What do you? What do you? Hearing? Like I said, this is of course it's one of the more quiet EVPs, but unlike the Sally House one. What's pretty clear to me, and again, Scott will have to bleep this, but it's get the f- out, leave me alone. Oh. And this is before I ask a question. So uh, here, once again, now. Okay. Oh, yeah. By the way, okay, here, wait. Before, before you play it, Forrest, I just want to say this. And all due respect to Mike and Jim and Rob, like. And me. If you've already experienced this. But one of the things that we found is that the answer comes before the question a lot with EVP. Interesting. Okay, so now now that yeah. you've okay, now that you uh, heard me say, I'm gonna keep playing it over and over again. Leave me, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. Wait. Okay, do it again for us. But keep okay. playing it. <laughs> Yeah, get the f- out and leave me alone. Slowly at that cadence. Well, I'm very glad it's not me being bleeped. Uh, uh, I'm being bleeped a lot on this one, and so is that spirit. 
but yeah. I'm not calling it out because I've had enough problems with spirits. No, that so. was, uh, uh, <laughs> and again, there's a little bit of distortion on, on the F-bomb, I believe, but uh, I didn't want to sway anybody's, uh, but yeah, I know it's it's hard to hear, but it's pretty clear to me when, you, when you're listening to it right there, and I think sure. that's probably the best one that this has uh, gotten, and uh, certainly uh, it got a lot more, but... Because you may not have all uh, heard the ones from the show. I'll play one from, like, uh, Waverly here. This is why that recorder lives at Forrest's house and not mine. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you for nothing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like your buddy. The tone is similar, but the I believe the the voices and the uh, the messages are different. What's interesting about the Talbot Inn, the old Talbot Tavern, is that that was my second stay there. The year prior to that, we'd stayed there, and I'd been there for the first time, and that was I had you know a few little blips of sound and some interesting things. But when I went, I so I did a test. The room that I was staying in, which is part of the new annex or the new addition, is which was also an old bank building very old, not quite as old as the main part of the building, but, but still very old. And it had a Mosler safe, uh, a walk-in safe as the closet they converted. One of the criticisms is that, well, you're just picking up radio waves and, and uh, cell phone communication and ham radio and AM, FM DJs just talking. It's like, okay, well, let's put it in the bank vault, which is concrete and steel. Uh, there's two sets of doors, which are probably a quarter inch uh, thick, solid steels, inner doors, and then an outer door. And that's the one that has the combination on it. So I placed it in there, asked another question, came back, and it, it really, that was the one where it sounded like a conversation. And I did it several times, and I thought, okay, I don't think it's, um, it's not quite a Faraday cage, but I'm not getting any cell reception right. in there. It's got to be something either inside the recorder or it's just picking up stuff that's uh, spiritually environmental. So, uh, but that was... Really, the first time I thought, like, oh my gosh, this thing is—it's a radio for talking to the other side. Exactly, as Belloc yeah. would say. Yeah, it yeah. It's a radio for talking yeah. to God. And then a fly crawls into his mouth. So <laughs> that's the ultimate Weirdly. commitment as an actor, by the way. Yeah, really. Uh, so anyway, that that was uh, something I haven't played, and I thought I I, I thought I'd share. That's and cool. uh, it's the uh, like I said, when you listen to it up close, it's like it, it's pretty clear to me, and one of the clearest things I've gotten with this recorder and uh, there's something about this particular unit that is um, it's special. I don't know what the deal is. Scott was too chicken to look at its backstory because it's like, I was cursed and now I put it on eBay and <laughs> Scott purchased it. It's like, well, what's the, who, who'd you get this from? It no, like I'm not afraid of its backstory. Swami. I'm afraid of it. Well, I just, no, I, I just, <laughs> I want to know, well, no, I want to know, uh, I want to know why the guy sold it. That's not unusual for, as we all know. Uh, they per, sold per, it per, because both. it was a $20 recorder that's now worth $1,600. No, but they must have known the, the worth on that because you didn't pay that Right, amount. they know the value, but what I'm saying is they're selling it for, they're selling it for, they can be selling it for paranormal value, sure. but also for cash. Well, no, I, I some I, people that I, don't care. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, I believe in ghosts. I don't care about that. We can get yeah. 2000 for this thing. You know, I just want to know what is there a story there? Because I have to assume that this it acted up the same way with the people uh, who owned it previously. Well, that's what those recorders do, the DR60. Yeah, but not to this extent. I mean, this is like I said, you, you've seen ghost shows with it. Jim was with us at yeah, the I was there, Paranormal yeah. Weekend, 
And so the well, yeah, haunted Kat, housewives, that... Kathy and um, Teresa, Teresa, yeah, the haunted Kathy housewives. Teresa, that's where we got exposed to the DR60 gem. It's so funny. I, I forgot about that. You were there with us. And then we'd like, I went back like the week after that and got on eBay and we bought the one that Forrest has. Uh, on that's how like, that happened. And it was like $1,300 for this $20 recorder from the wow. 90s. So. Yeah. Wow. But there's got to be a story there. I can't, even if you were like, well, there's, I don't believe in ghosts. I just tell it to pick up milk after uh, going to the store. And and by the way, go to the post office on the way home. It, it's like, and you're getting that? That's more than a malfunction. Although if you didn't believe in ghosts, I imagine you just think like, well, this thing's really crappy. <laughs> I mean, I just gotta, I'll just hang on to it for 25 years. So there's something with it. And I, I just want to know the backstory. But like I said, we're going to, we'll pursue this more, but uh, it's kind of hard from an uh, audiologist standpoint, because there's only so much they can pull out of there. But me just listening to the clips over and over again, uh, especially like with Talbot, like I put it together as context and a story from the one recording we haven't aired yet. It's like, I asked a question. It's like, well, who, what's your story here? Can you tell me about your life or, or what happened before you passed away? And I, I felt I was getting sentence fragments of somebody telling me their story. And so, I, yeah, it's the most remarkable thing, but it's, uh, it's, you don't get that with every DR60. Certainly you see these a lot on, on you know, Kathy and Teresa, what they got was they asked the kind old fellow who used to volunteer there at the theater. It's like uh, he always had a coffee. Oh, and What was his name? Um, I, I can't remember his name right now, but he's uh, he always had a hot, fresh coffee with him. That was his thing. And it people was Mel could, or something. Mel, like that's that. it. Mel. Is it Mel? It, yeah, it is, is Mel. Mel. Yeah. And yeah. so they, they would uh, people will still smell. He was a patron of the theater. Yeah. He was an older retired guy. He used to do the ghost tours there around the, around the theater and. Right, uh, so he, he had a, a lot of money, helped the kids out in the yeah, theater. Yeah, he, and he all had a favorite. But if you uh, go and sit in the seats where he sat, you smell his coffee and stuff like that. Sometimes, yeah, uh, that that happens. So they just uh, Kathy and Teresa just said, like, Mel, do you you know what kind of roast did you like on your coffee? Did you like a light roast or a dark roast? And that was one of the first live EVPs I think Scott and I ever heard was dark roast. You know, yeah, <laughs> and that's a yeah we what played a, it in a show, yeah, yeah, and that's kind of and what you were there, it sounds. yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, I heard everybody's going to a second location. And one thing I learned a long time ago is to never go to the second location. So I think I'm going to bug out here. I just want to say how much fun I've had hanging out with everybody. It's been so awesome. This has been great, man. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Forrest. This has been my favorite Christmas tradition. And this year is has been the best one ever. Oh, it's year one. <laughs> a new tradition. It's time for everything, right? That's because I'm never going to come here ever again. <laughs> but I'll see you on New Year's, friend. Scott and Forrest, it's been great. Thanks for inviting me. I've absolutely loved it. Jim, thank you so much. Micah as well. Uh, you're certainly uh, two figures that we really look up to. Rich just comes with a package. I mean, he's just... Rich is friends of, of old school friends of mine, and so we were destined to bump into each other. It just happens to be that he's a talented screenwriter, and... Uh, you know, that's why he's here. And he has some great ideas. But uh, but you too, yes, we certainly, uh, as far as this medium goes, owe a lot to you too. And uh, and certainly you're both very inspirational to us. So well, thank, thank you, you so much for... Uh, it goes both ways. Yeah. Thank you, thank you so much for... Absolutely. Uh, for you guys are fantastic. Agree to join us. Hey, and also, Rob, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you yes, coming out Rob, of retirement for that. Yeah, on the paranormal yeah thank stuff, you, so. Rob. <laughs> yeah, thank you all. Yeah, it feels weird to be here, but uh, I've also had a great time. So thank you. And Tess, like, you know, we, we Tess was our um, card up our sleeve because I don't know how to put it. It's like she does a blog a day for October when we, we, we could take a whole <laughs> month insane. and do 
one episode, and we thought, God, you know, <laughs> Tess is going to have some great stories. If we get in a jam, she's there to save us, as she always is. And uh, again, thank you. You know, we've been very blessed, I would say, at a very serious note here, if you want to talk about Moshi Christmas wishes, is that I couldn't have wished more for better acquaintances and friends and connections and a network to have developed out of this. And it's really the people, you know, going back to what Tess said, it's really, we can study all this stuff and we can think of the questions, follow the answers, uh, see what we can get, uh, come up with. And it's all very fascinating to me. And that's why I'm in it and will still be. But these are also stories that don't really matter unless there's a human element involved, because that's our perspective. That's why we're interested. How does it affect the rest of us? And so that's the same with this pursuit. Really, the most important thing is each other and the connections we make and the friendships we make, and they're going to last for a lifetime. And, and that's what I value most out of this endeavor is just the people I've met and the, and the, the lasting friendships that will always be there. So thank you so much again for uh, uh, making this a really special uh, year-end show for us. Happy holidays to everybody. Happy holidays. Well, that's going to wrap up 2020 for Astonishing Legends. A very special thanks to Micah, Jim, Rich, Rob, and Tess, of course. We'll have links to all of their various endeavors in the show notes and on the episode page for this show. We'd also like to credit YouTuber Andy Negative, that's A-N-N-D-Y, who provided the public domain holiday music background for tonight's show. We're wishing everyone the safest of holidays this season, and we will see you on January 9th, 2021, with a new show. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. Please remember to support our sponsors. They help keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Boland. What's your name? My name is spelled S-A-R-A-H. Pronounced like Grant, but with a V. And? Galaxy-wide in perpetuity. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees-Wendell and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also our head of research. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane, and our sound design and additional composing is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to the Astonishing Research Corps. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends, where patrons have access to additional bonus content. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night.